BFT. From the Pack West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Well, I was at a funeral today, and, uh, you know, normally whenever I go to a funeral, I don't know if you do this, I, I mean, there's sadness that is around the funeral. Obviously, somebody has passed away. But often people will say, hey, it is a celebration of life. And it was a celebration today. It was a celebration of a guy who had a lot of friends, had a lot of family, Bill Shonley, the mayor of Rip City, was laid to rest today. And I'll tell you, I came away from it thinking about how detail-oriented Bill Shonley was as a broadcaster. And we'll talk about this later in the show in, in more depth. But it was evident to me in watching the ceremony and being invited there and, and uh, seeing his friends and seeing his family. And Bill Walton was in the house and... Chris Dudley was in the house, Larry Steele and Jeff Petrie, and Brian Grant was sitting in the back of the room, and some Blazers executives from uh, years past were present in the room. There were, there were a whole bunch of people that um, were there to honor Bill Shonley. But the bigger thing was Bill Shonley was there in his own way. The pastor of the church that uh, held the ceremony for Bill Shonley uh, basically announced uh, that they had never before had the casket uh, of the deceased in the room at this Presbyterian church. It just isn't the way that they do celebrations of life. And uh, apparently they had a viewing last night. I did not go to that. I, I was not invited to that, so obviously I'm not going. But today uh, his family it said, hey, you know, we'd like you to be there. And so I was there. Anna was there. And I looked around the room, and I was like, gosh, this guy really had a lot of people who loved him. And he had his children there, his grandchildren there. It was nice to see grandchildren and think, you know, like of the legacy of Bill Shonley. And then his other family was there in the presence of, you know, Jim Barnett, uh, the guy who took the shot that Bill Shonley called Rip City on. And Jeff Petrie, the first overall draft pick of Trailblazers, Inc., 1970, in that inaugural season and the co-rookie of the year, and Larry Steele, and Lloyd Neal, and, you know, it was, it was, Chris Dudley was there, it was, uh, it was pretty cool to see how many Blazers showed up, and Bill Walton, of course, sitting right up front, uh, you know, singing hymns, and, and uh, hanging out at Bill Sean Lee's funeral, and you know, the, the pastor of the church said, though, you know, like I said, like, never before had they had the body of the deceased there. And he pointed out, he says he's no longer in his body, right? You know, and and it's just not what they do in the Presbyterian church. So um, it was funny, though, because the pastor said that in planning the funeral that Bill Shonley was involved, that he basically had said, I want these songs played, the one with the oboe. I want uh, my casket to be right up front, draped with the American flag right up front. You know, Bill Shonley was a Marine, wanted it at his church. He had handpicked who he wanted to speak uh, at, the, at the service. 
and of course, Jeff Petrie was the first person who went up and spoke, and it was really interesting to kind of hear him talk about barnstorming in 1970, summer of 1970, and barnstorming around the country, or around the state, trying to drum up radio affiliates for what would become the Trailblazers Radio Network, uh, and going city to city, and being essentially on the road, piecing together what would become, uh, you know, hey, being in Bend in Central Oregon and convincing the station there that NBA basketball would work, and apparently the station manager in Bend said, you know, no, people in Central Oregon aren't going to connect with the NBA. They're not going to get what you're doing. Because remember, 1970, the NBA was not what it is today. And Petrie told the story of Bill Shonley going out and saying to the uh, the person who was uh, running the radio station, the GM of the station, said, hey, it's not going to work here. Bill Shonley said, give me an afternoon to figure this out for you. And Shonley then went out and basically went business to business to eight or ten businesses and came back with eight or ten sponsors that he said to the GM of the station, okay, you carry the games. These businesses that are in your community have already bought sponsorship packages, and they're on board. And that's how they piecemealed together the radio network that became the platform for Bill Shonley to connect with so many people. Uh, I wrote all about it, uh, hundreds and hundreds of other details, but it was evident to me that Shonley had an idea of what he wanted for his service, right down to the music, right down to Michael Allen Harrison playing the piano, down to the people who spoke, to the fact that he wanted his casket right up in the front. Like, it made me smile because anybody who knows Bill Shonley or spent any time with Bill Shonley understands that Bill Shonley, you know, he liked being on the stage. He liked having the moment, and he was a detail-oriented guy, right down to the clothes he wore and how every stitch of fabric in his tie, and, you know, there's never any lint on his jacket, you know, his hair was perfect. Like, he was such a detail-oriented person that it's what made him really good as a broadcaster, right? He could bring you the action. And I thought it was a really cool ceremony. The Blazers have plans on March 13th for a public memorial uh, for him and a celebration of life at Memorial Coliseum for fans who want to go. I think it's awesome. Uh, but it was really cool to kind of look around the room and see so many faces from Trailblazers past assembled to kind of honor Bill Shonley and, and basically lay him to rest. Now, as they left the church, the pallbearers were six Trailblazer players who all were, um, you know, former players and giant human beings, like Bill Walton, Jim Barnett, Chris Dudley, Larry Steele, Wally Walker, Lloyd Neal. Those are your pallbearers. Service ends, and they say, hey, we're going we're gonna to allow the pallbearers to uh, take the casket out of the church. And the uh, six pallbearers moved alongside that casket, and they took it out of the church. Now, Lake Oswego Police Department, because this church was in Lake Oswego, uh, they had prepared, they had barricaded off streets around the church, anticipating what was a large crowd of friends and family. And they also then were planning to head uh, to put him to rest at Willamette, National Cemetery. That's where he will be buried as a Marine. And, you know, you forget, and this, this struck me too, it being in the church, you know, he's a play-by-play -play guy who called hockey and baseball and wrestling and basketball. I didn't know he'd call wrestling till today. 
like they mentioned it as part of the eulogy, and you know damn well that Bill Shonley helped that pastor write every word of that eulogy um, and talked about all of the things that he broadcasted, the cities he worked in, like Seattle and Portland. But I was reminded, you know, as they took his body and that casket off to Willamette National Cemetery, where he will get a military burial, that uh, Bill Shonley will, will always be your friend. He will always be the mayor of Rip City. We will always, as long as I have any control over it, play Twas the Night Before Christmas, starring Bill Shonley on Christmas Eve. I made him that promise. The last time I saw him was just days before he died. He said, hey, will you play that every year on Christmas? So, you know, something happens to me, you as a listener, make sure that this radio station knows you're to play Bill Shonley's Twas the Night Before Christmas on every Christmas Eve broadcast, or the, the last broadcast before Christmas. Uh, but beyond all of that, beyond the broadcast stuff, beyond the fact that he was uh, you know, play-by-play -play and basketball and hockey in 1977, the voice of the Blazers, and beyond the fact that he was with you in your childhood, a lot of you, as uh, you listened to basketball games on the carpet of your grandparents or your parents' living room floor, and you listened to radio or television, and Bill Shonley uh, described the action. But beyond all that, he was, a, he was a father. His children were there in the church. It was nice to see them. He was a husband. Dottie was uh, front and center, closest to the casket. And, you know, it can't be easy on her. It, and he was a Marine as well. And that was evident through all of this. And, you know, I know we we often will, you know, we got a big Super Bowl coming up this weekend. It provides some great context. Like, you know, it feels like it's do or die. It's life or death. One of these teams is going to win. One of these teams is going to have to face some real questions after the game, no matter what happens. Everything's so big and important. NBA trade deadline. But it reminds me. Uh, at a moment like that, that you have, you know, Bill Shonley, you have this guy essentially, uh, you know, providing context for the rest of us that as big and legendary as he was as a broadcaster, he was a grandpa. He was a husband. He was a dad. And I think it's really interesting to kind of look at that context and Today, uh, I felt um, uh, that it was really cool as, as they left the facility and they took Bill Shonley's body into the parking lot and off to Willamette uh, National Cemetery that, you know, he was a friend to you. He was a friend to me. He was a friend to this show. And uh, that, that thing will never leave me. That will never leave me. We're going to talk Super Bowl we're going to talk other things, but I wanted to start today just by kind of talking about what I saw today and, and Bill Shonley being laid to rest. I hope a whole bunch of people go to his memorial celebration coming up in March, March 13th, and really celebrate you know your own relationship that you were in with Bill Shonley because so many people, I've heard from so many people who say, you know what, this guy was uh, meant so much to me. This guy was the soundtrack of my life or my childhood. Uh, this guy, you know, you fill in the blank. I think you know what relationship you had with the Shans yourself. we got a great show for you today. Uh, Anna will be along. We'll talk about the Super Bowl coming up. We're going to dive deep on it. Uh, you know, it's uh, fun to talk college basketball this time of year. And the Oregon Ducks posted a much-needed victory and an impressive victory over a good USC team last night in Eugene. We'll talk about that as well. You got the bald face truth statewide on the BFT Radio Network. Leave it right here.
Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Super Bowl Sunday coming up. Uh, look, I like the Chiefs. I don't. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna blame you if you like the Eagles. I think it's gonna be a great game. I think it's really interesting how uh, already I am hearing a lot of national media overreact to the outcome of the game. The game hasn't even uh, uh, hasn't even been uh, played yet, and we're hearing you know uh, you know if the Eagles can't stop Patrick Mahomes. Is their window going to close? Like, you know, are they built really to contend? Or is this a a team that just was opportunistic and rose up in a given year? That's what football is. That's what the NFL is. Like, every year the Super Bowl champion is opportunistic. I don't – it's – to me, the NFL is the league where you had better seize the opportunity when you get there. Um, If you don't, you don't seize that opportunity – just like the Atlanta Falcons, who had a 28-3 to lead at the end of the third quarter, um, you know, just like that, you, there's no guarantee you're getting back. This isn't like the Buffalo Bills with Marv Levy, who got back and back and back, and despite not getting it done in the Super Bowl, were able to get back and try again and try again. Now, once upon a time, when the New York-New Jersey Super Bowl was held, I believe it was the Seahawks playing the Broncos in that one. Um, I can remember the. Uh, I was in a restaurant in Manhattan, and I was waiting for a table. I was sitting there. I'd walked in. I was waiting for a table, and I looked over, and Marv Levy had walked through the doors. Like I recognized him right away. Said, "Hey, Coach, how are you? Good to meet you. Had you on my show. Um, you know, nice guy, Marv Levy." And they said, how many in your party? Marv Levy said, oh, there's four of us. It was he and must have been his wife and a couple other people. And uh, then I, they said, hey, it'll be like 10 or 15 minutes. And he said, fine. And he stood there. And I thought to myself, damn, if Marv Levy had only won one of those Super Bowls, he's never waiting for a table in New York. He would never be there. But it is a fleeting thing, a fleeting opportunity. So it's not to me like I, I just think it gets so overwrought with, oh, my gosh, the urgency. If the Eagles don't win this Super Bowl, their window could close. Look at their free agents. Look at the players that they lined up for this season that won't be back next season. And are they going to have a contract problem with a bunch of guys who are going to have to be negotiated? Will they be able to get back next year? It's the same question that applies every year to both teams in the Super Bowl. Hell, ask the Rams. Ask the Bengals. Ask the Niners who were in the Super Bowl recently. You know, you better be ready when the when the moment unfolds in front of you to seize that opportunity. And so I'm kind of rolling my eyes as I'm reading and hearing and watching some national media members declare that, you know, if the Chiefs don't win this one, what will happen to that organization? You know, they'll do what they always do. If They'll do the same thing the Eagles do. In the offseason, they will evaluate their roster. They'll try to tweak a little bit. They'll re-sign the players they think can help get them there, and they'll come back next season, and they'll play a grueling schedule because of how the NFL lays up the subsequent schedule after the Super Bowl. The Chiefs and the Eagles will have the two toughest schedules in the NFL next season. 
based on their records this year. Um, I'm just not a big uh, I'm not a big believer in like trying to make too much of the moment. It's big enough. It's a Super Bowl. This is the biggest game. The championship will be rewarded or awarded to the winning team. This is uh, what happens at the end of a at the end of the rainbow for these teams. It's great that they're there, and I hate that already the game hasn't even been played, and already people are kind of lining up, going, you know, gosh, if the Eagles don't win this game, will uh, Nick Sirianni be able to get this team back to a Super Bowl in a year? No, let's let them play four quarters before we have this conversation. I think it's silly. I'm excited about this game, and the thing I'm most excited about is to see if Patrick Mahomes is healthy and how Kansas City's offense will play against that Philadelphia defense and that front seven. Can Kansas City's offense stay on the field? Can Patrick Mahomes and his mobility and Kansas City's offensive line and their pass game handle the pass rush of the Philadelphia Eagles? For me, that's the game. If the Chiefs can handle that pass rush, if Patrick Mahomes can make enough plays, if he can stay in this game, if they can block the edge rushers of the Eagles and account for Indomitian Sioux, then I think the Kansas City Chiefs are going to win this game, and I think they could win it going away. If they can't do that, or if Patrick Mahomes only makes a few plays here and there, then it really I think we got a game. And I think Philadelphia couldn't win that kind of game. It, and I, I just think that's what it is. It's Philadelphia's pass rush. I'm not as concerned about Jalen Hurts and the Eagles offense being a, the factor in this game because I think they will be steady. I think they will score in the 20s. I think they'll be fine against Kansas City's D. So to me, it just really comes down to whether or not Patrick Mahomes and that Kansas City offense can neutralize Philadelphia's pass rush. Can they run the ball enough? Can Mahomes' mobility be a factor? Can Andy Reid and his offensive staff scheme enough, uh, you know, using their screen game and their draw game and Mahomes' mobility? Can they scheme their way out of letting Philadelphia dictate how this game goes? Stephen and Peter, what are you looking at in this game? I'm looking at the Eagles' pass rush. Yeah, I think that is the most important uh, thing. I also think the other important thing is – what I'm going to be looking for is how the Eagles guard Travis Kelsey. Um, the thing about the Eagles' weakness on defense, they've been really good on defense all year, rushing the passer, and they have great cornerbacks. But the weakness is those linebackers in coverage in the middle of the field, and that's where Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes, they just feast on other teams. So I, I'm really interested to see if the Eagles put you know, a Darius Slay on Travis Kelsey sometimes or how they guard him how they go about it, because you know, the, we've talked about the Chiefs not having the explosive receivers. They lost Tyreek Hill in the offseason. You know, Valdez Scantley's fine. Juju's fine. You know, Kadarius Toney, they're, they're all fine. But are they going to make enough plays to win? I, I'm interested to see how they guard Kelsey and if they make it so they put a lot of pressure on those Chiefs or Chiefs receivers to make some plays. Peter, what do you think? Yeah, I'm not exactly sure. I mean, I like the Eagles. I think Jalen Hurts hasn't been tested, but I mean... Look, we saw Patrick Mahomes get, what, 48 out of the 50 votes for MVP. I think if Jalen Hurts hadn't missed time, that would have been a lot closer. I'm looking for a big game from him. I am hopeful that we get a great game. I want to see a great game. I want to see it come down to the end. I want your phone calls, 503-417-7575, key to the game, or maybe just the one thing you're going to be watching. For me, I'll be watching Philadelphia's edge rushers. They gave the 49ers all kinds of problems. The Niners tried to block using a tight end. You can't do that. Philadelphia's too good up front. Dave's in Vancouver. Dave, what are you looking for? Oh, I'm looking at the uh, Eagles 
decimating their last two opponents. These games were over like in a quarter, two quarters. 49ers are not a very quality team. They just got just completely annihilated. Yeah. Don't you think that people... had to do with the quarterback position? You know, I mean, Philadelphia essentially had seven points in the first half. Well, I'm I'm just thinking the uh, Eagles are going to annihilate. The only oh, lucky you... thing is, and I don't think anything's rigged, but that Cincinnati fans complaining about the calls. What I'm going to watch for is on third down when uh, Mahomes is in trouble, if they get a, a defensive holding or a pass mm. interference or a defensive – I really think that's the only way Mahomes can hang with these guys because the 49ers got their their team sucks. They got run off the grid. Yeah, yeah, I don't think they suck, Dave. I think you're trying to troll me, and I'm not going for it. Uh, look, if you don't have a quarterback in the NFL, you don't have a chance. And that, to me, the interesting thing is with Patrick Mahomes – his ability to scramble creates a lot of problems for the defensive backs down the field. I think Cincinnati's DBs had a lot of trouble when Mahomes was extending plays, staying with the Kansas City receivers. I mean, that's what causes defensive pass interference, defensive holding. You see that more frequently, I think, with the Chiefs and other teams who have mobile quarterbacks because it's a long time for a defensive back to try to cover a good receiver in space with rules that favor offensive teams. I think it's going to be a really good game. I don't think it's going to be a blowout either way. I think it's probably both teams in the 20s. And the tipping factor for me is whether or not Mahomes and Kansas City can deal with the pass rush of Philadelphia. Mark in Portland. Mark, what's on your mind? Oh, not a lot. Last phone calls. I mean, if you go back to that game with San Francisco, uh, even after – Purdy got hurt. The first touchdown for Philly shouldn't have been a touchdown. If you watch the catch by uh, Smith, was it? Um, he didn't catch that ball. They should have challenged that. True. And McCaffrey would. Have, it could have been seven to nothing, like halfway through the second quarter. San Francisco, even without a quarterback. So yeah, um, I like. I like defense, John, but I think the game's changed. That that can bite you in the butt if you if you look at the defense and. The, the game is now set up for a quarterback that's like Mahomes, who's the best player in the league, and he's he just looks like he's playing a video game sometimes and nobody can stop him. So I don't know if that's going to happen or defense is going to win the game, but I'm leaning towards uh, betting on Philly. Um, I like them in this game. Uh, I think I think defense is still has to be accounted for something, and uh, I think they're going to make some plays defensively. And uh, I We're going to find out if Mahomes is – you know, 70, 80, 90%, 100%. I think he needs to be, you know, close to 90% to beat this defense. It's funny because I appreciate the call. You know, when I think about players across sports, there was a time where Michael Jordan dominated his sport to the point where he was an easy MVP pick. LeBron has had years like that. So did Kobe, had years like that. We've seen no-brainer MVP picks. Is Patrick Mahomes in that class right now where he is making it very easy? Is he truly the best player in the game right now? Uh, or, you know, as I look across all sports, what, what athlete do you think is dominating his sport like none other right now? Is it Mahomes in the NFL? Is there somebody in the NBA who has emerged now or is about to emerge 
kind of feel like LeBron's window obviously winding down. You've seen some other people win this award and lead their teams to titles. But I'm kind of looking right now at Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, and if he can win this Super Bowl, I think it's going to be hard hard to uh, pick against Mahomes when you talk about who is the most dominant athlete in his respective sport right now because without Patrick Mahomes, the Kansas City Chiefs are nowhere near the Super Bowl. I mean, he's just he's been that good. And he is doing things now that show that he is more experienced in its little stuff like the checkdowns and you hear the broadcasters sort of get it, uh, you know, wax on and on about the fact that he's taking what the defense is giving him and all that. But but he he's become, I think, more lethal and more patient as a player. Who is the most dominant player in any sport right now? 503-417-7575 plus... You tell me uh, who's winning the Super Bowl and what the biggest key is. You got the BFT statewide. Leave it here. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with the pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. I appreciate everybody who listens to this radio show. If you want to read me, you read me exclusively now at johnconzano.com. That's where you get my columns. I wrote today about the funeral of Bill Shonley, the mayor of Rip City, uh, Bill Walton there, Jim Barnett there, Larry Steele there, uh, Lloyd Neal there, uh, Brian Grant was in, uh, uh, was in the house. Uh, really cool to kind of see uh, everybody that, I think Bill Shonley considered his uh, immediate family, all those players present there, so many of them part of the celebration of life. Uh, the public celebration of life for Bill Shonley will be March 13th at Memorial Coliseum. Uh, let's go to the phone lines. Courtney is in Eugene, listening on Fox Sports Eugene. Courtney, what's on your mind? Hey, John. Everybody keeps talking about the Eagles defense. Let's not forget Kansas City held you know, Cincinnati had two different opportunities to drive down the field, and they really rose to the occasion. True. Who do you and like also, in the game? Uh, you're, you're pretty much spot on about Mahomes being the most dominant player in the league right now. And this is really a time where, you know, special players can make special plays to win big games. So, yeah, really, his time to shine, I think. Yeah, I think it's going to be – it's really interesting. And you guys tell me, like, you know, you look at uh, Nikola Jokic, in in uh, in Denver, who's got back-to-back MVPs? Giannis went back-to-back before to, before him. Uh, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Steph Curry, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, LeBron, LeBron. That's your last ten MVPs in the NBA. Uh, is is the Joker and Patrick Mahomes? Are they the two most dominant players in sports right now? I don't think so because I think in the NBA, I would argue that Giannis is better than Jokic. And so I, I can't say that Jokic is the most dominant player in the NBA where I think Mahomes, I don't know who you really could put over him at this point in time. Like Josh Allen, I think, was threatening it, but the way his season ended and the way he played this year just was definitely below expectations. I, I think the answer is Patrick Mahomes. I, I just I was trying to think of other sports. Like I just don't think there's a guy that's out there as dominant as Patrick Mahomes is like NBA. I think there's, I think there's numerous guys you can make the argument. Same with major league baseball. Like 
there's not one dominant player, and you know, if Mike Trout's the best player, he doesn't make the playoffs. So, like, how dominant can he really be? I, I, I think the answer is Patrick Holmes. I also think, like, if you look at um, baseball, you could make a case for Shohei Otani being the most dominant player, given you know what he, what he does for his team. And I, but there have been different times in history where, like Wayne Gretzky, for a stretch in the NHL, he was clearly the best player in the NHL. Nobody was close. And we've had different quarterbacks in the NFL who've kind of risen up. And then you look at the, you know, when you look at the NBA MVP vote over the years, you know, I think. You know, there was the Magic, even during Michael Jordan's heyday, Magic won a couple of MVPs in there. But I think we could all kind of say for about like an eight-year period, Michael Jordan was arguably the best player in the league every year. Like Hakeem and David Robinson and Charles Barkley and Magic won MVPs during Jordan's time. But, you know, Michael Jordan winning his first MVP award in 1988 and then going 80... Uh, 80, uh, 88, 91, 92, 96, 98. Like, that was pretty impressive in that stretch. Like, you could make an argument for him in every one of those seasons, even the ones he didn't win. Uh, Jason's, Jason is in Gresham. Jason, what's on your mind, man? Who do you who do you like? Oh, I'm a big Eagles fan, John, and I called in uh, a couple weeks ago for some advice about uh, coaching my son's youth basketball team. Or watching the NFC championship. Yeah, you game. got a, you got another dilemma on your hands. I I got another dilemma, but it's an easy it's an easy decision. Uh, he has a game at one thirty and three thirty on Sunday, and uh, his grandparents are going to be in the stands for him, and I'm going to be at home watching the game because the Eagles uh, don't don't get to the Super Bowl very often. And uh, speaking of MVPs and talking about Patrick Mahomes, I mean, you're looking at Jalen Hurts. He's been nineteen and two. Um, you know, I gave up on him. I was down in Vegas watching him last year against the Raiders, and, and the Eagles were just terrible then. And then they decided to start running the ball and uh, and working towards what Jalen Hurts does best. And look what they've done. He would have been the MVP this year if he wouldn't have gotten hurt, and the Eagles went cautionary and kept him out for the last couple of games. So, you know, I think this is going to be a blowout. I think they're going to win by more than 14 points. And, uh Go Eagles. All right. Call in Monday, win or lose. Okay. You know Even it. if they lose, are you going to call in? Absolutely. Go Birds, okay. fly, Eagles, fly. All right. Get, hey, help me out with Philadelphia, man. Uh, what's going to happen yep. to that city if they lose this game? Will there be rioting? Will Or, you know, do we need to root for a win? Or or <laughs> if, if the Eagles win, are they going to riot as well and break bus stops? You know that uh, they grease poles and uh, and eat poop sandwiches. Uh, the Eagles fans are diehards and crazies. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with some of the ways that they treat uh, you know opposing fans, um, but you know I'm, I'm I'm a fan from Portland, uh, born and raised here, and fell in love with them in '88. In fact, Randall Cunningham, I have a cutout of him, uh, six foot cutout. He uh, I'm a delivery driver, and he went along with me all week long in my uh, passenger seat and uh, wore a different Eagles jersey every every day of the week. Uh, I'm pretty You're a diehard. You're a diehard. We have a, we have, Jason is a diehard. We know that much. Um, I never understood the uh, damaging of things when your team wins. I don't get that. And maybe it's just people who are looking for an excuse to break some stuff, win or lose. 
they're going to break some stuff. Like I and and I was in, I was in San Antonio. I think it was 2004 where they played the Pistons in that series. And I was in San Antonio when San Antonio won one of their NBA championships. And I was covering the series. And I was leaving the arena after the game. And I got on the freeway, and it was gridlock. And I I was like. I don't understand this. But what happened was people in San Antonio, now this is San Antonio, this is not Philadelphia, but people in San Antonio had decided that they were so happy that the Spurs won, they got in their cars, they drove out to the freeway in San Antonio, and they parked on the freeway. And they got out of their cars, and they blocked the freeways, and they just celebrated. People were jumping up and down. They were walking around the freeway. And I thought to myself, like, you know, I don't understand this. Like, why are you not, like, why aren't you in the middle of town square? Why aren't you uh, at the arena? Why aren't you outside the arena in the parking lot? Why are you not in your living room celebrating this or at a sports bar? Have you guys ever participated in a celebration of your team's championship win where you took to the streets? Have you ever seen this? No, no, none of my teams ever have won a championship that I can think of. So uh, I don't think that I would be damaging things, though. I think I would just be celebrating probably at home or, you know, waiting for the parade. But, you know, I wonder if Peter Peter did when the Braves won. When the Braves won, are you out there just yeah, climbing I was, poles? I was the only guy in southeast Portland just yeah. ripping it up, man. It was but, wild. But you weren't. You didn't go. You weren't in Atlanta when they won. <laughs> no, and, no, no. And so this is what I would like to throw out to our audience. Have you ever celebrated a championship in the city where the championship team played. And give me an idea of what that was like for you, what you saw, because there's a mob mentality that takes over, people are around, I get it, people are excited, people are around each other, they're on the streets celebrating, but I've never understood the destruction part of it. Like, when I got to Portland in December of 2002, and uh, I started to educate myself on 1977 and the Blazers winning their championship, one of the things that struck me was, like, the scene at Pioneer Courthouse Square, uh, the people climbing light posts to get a view of the parade. Like, I didn't see businesses, like, plywooding up the front, you know, front of the business because everybody was just kind of celebrating, and it was a sea of madness, of course, but it wasn't like... Like people weren't tipping over buses, were they? People in Portland were you were you were you knocking over bus stops and breaking out windows? Not for a championship. I don't think you were. I think you were happy. Five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five. I want to hear from you. Back to the bald faced truth with John Canzano on seven fifty. The game. Phone lines are open on this uh, great Friday. Got a Super Bowl coming up on Sunday. Uh, we're going to find out Eagles, Chiefs, who's going to win the game. I do sense that there's uh, a little bit of apathy for this game on the Pacific time zone because it doesn't involve teams that are from anywhere near here. The calls we're largely getting are from fans of those two teams who are transplants, of course, but... I also, uh, I just like good football, and I like a Super Bowl. And so we're going to watch this game as a as a family. And the 8-year-old and the 6-year-old have uh, determined that they are rooting for the Kansas City Chiefs, mostly because they saw Dad's displeasure with the Eagles-Niners game in the NFC title game. Um, I think that these two teams are the most deserving. I think that this is going to be a great game. 
I think uh, the biggest weapon in this game, though, is Patrick Mahomes, and he's got Travis Kelsey at tight end, who he has mind-melded with, and I think that could become a problem for the Eagles. Now, I saw a couple of interesting bets on the board with DraftKings, guys, and one of them that jumped out at me was the Kansas City Chiefs on the money line tied together in a parlay with Patrick Mahomes over 275 passing yards and Travis Kelsey over 75 yards, I believe, that paid 3.5 to 1. Now, I didn't bet it, but I looked at it and went, that's interesting. The part of it that uh, obviously kind of feels like a coin flip is, you know, the outcome of the game. This is a spread that is 1.5 points. And then Kelsey getting to 75 yards. If the Chiefs are going to win the game, I think Kelsey does get to 75-plus yards. Do you see a wager that you like, guys? I saw that same exact one, and I uh, I pulled the trigger on it. There was a little boost on it, so I did that. Because I'm with you. I think if the Chiefs are to win, and I think the Chiefs are going to win, I don't think there's any way Patrick Mahomes doesn't throw for that and, you know, uh, Travis Kelsey doesn't catch 75 yards worth. I, I think that's a really good bet. Um, there's a couple that I really like um, that I made. I really like... Um, Trying to think what it was. Oh, sorry. Uh, Miles Sanders. I think Miles mm-hmm. Sanders is going to have a really big game today or on uh, Sunday where uh, Kenneth Gainwell is getting a lot of uh, a lot of traction. He was really big in the last two games. But as we've talked about, really big blowouts in both those games. They didn't need Miles Sanders to be a big part of the offense. I think Miles Sanders is going to be a big part of the offense for the Eagles. Uh, so I do like his over rushing yards while also liking the under on Kenneth Gainwell's rushing yards. I, I think it's more of a game where you need uh, your big your big time back in the backfield to make some plays. I think that's what the Eagles do. Let's go to the phone lines. John in Beaverton happened to be at the 77 Blazers celebration. Hey, John, give us an idea what that was like. We're talking about championship celebrations. It was great. It was one of the best morning of things of my life. I had season tickets that year for the Blazers and uh, went to the game. And after the game, we just went crazy. Added another couple with us and we went down to Broadway, and we were just jumping up and down, and there were just people everywhere just screaming and just enjoying life. It was a beautiful day. It was like 90 degrees that day, and I remember these people driving by. They had some kind of different state license plate, and they're looking at us, screaming and going crazy. And what are these people doing here? And it was so much fun, and oh, it was it was just the biggest thing in my life, but... Portland was a lot different place back then. It was more of a small town instead of a yeah. big city like it Did is. anybody, were people breaking things up and, you know, destroying things, or was it more just jubilation? No, no we were just having fun. It was just uh, joyful. It was just unbelievable how, you know, that Portland won the championship. Uh, I mean, it was the first time anything ever happened that big in Portland ever, you know. It was just Something that I grew up in Portland that I never thought I'd ever be part of. A championship, you know, of that magnitude. Yeah, I think that, you know, you root for your team, and I think a lot of Blazer fans, Duck fans, Beaver fans can probably relate to this right now. Look, if you are a Blazer fan, you've been waiting probably for your whole life for a championship. If you are an Oregon Duck fan, who's been waiting for a national championship in football. You know, you got to the uh, the national championship game in 2011 against Auburn. You got back there in 2015 against Ohio State. You're 0 for 2. And it probably feels right now 
like a little bit of a pipe dream to get to the title and win it. And I think the objective now is kind of like, can they get to the playoff? Can they win a playoff game again? Can they get, you know, in a 12-team playoff, how far can they get? But, you know, it's not beyond the realm of possibility for both Oregon and Oregon State to think about a Pac-12 championship next season. And if you think about a Pac-12 championship, you're thinking about a possible playoff berth. And I get it. Like, if you're in a mob of people, you're in a crowd of people, and your team does something unthinkable, like that mob sort of takes on a mentality. We literally call it a mob mentality. And sometimes a mob can turn dark, uh, and sometimes that jubilation can turn into uh, people breaking stuff. And all of a sudden, it's less about a celebration and more about, you know, some of the destruction that you do see in the wake of winning. I just, I don't understand after Philadelphia beat the 49ers why people broke stuff in Philadelphia. I don't, like, I don't get that. That, and maybe it's just me. Maybe I would have looked around if I was on the streets of Philadelphia and gone, yeah, this isn't for me. But I just, I, you know, I have been, though, at sporting events and a couple of UFC events in particular where... I felt like the crowd was a little bit uh, bloodthirsty, and there was just some things happening. There were some scuffles happening, some people throwing punches, and I was like, man, this place is like one person away from it losing control and getting out of hand. Like, I, I just have seen some stuff, but I've never been around a championship celebration that happens in the city, because a lot of times the Super Bowls aren't held in the home city of the team that is playing in the game. You know, every once in a great while it does line up uh, that, oh, look, this game is at SoFi Stadium and the Rams happen to be playing in it. Or this game is at Stanford Stadium and the Niners were playing in it. Or, you know, that happens every once in a while. But generally it's like the fan base is over there in their home city and they have nowhere to go with the celebration. So I don't know how you... uh, I don't know how you uh, get around that as a city, but I just hope whoever wins this game that nobody gets hurt in the wake of it, right? Celebrating. Should be happy. Uh, That brings us to our big splash. It's the one thing that you need to know. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash. Well, Tom Brady has officially retired. Former Patriots and Buccaneers quarterback filed the paperwork today to confirm his retirement effective February 1. Uh, The letter, which begins processing his benefits, silences any question about a potential return. It also makes him eligible for the Pro Football Hall of Fame in the class of 2028. Last offseason, Brady retired for 40 days before announcing that he would return for a final season with the Buccaneers. Um, He said after the first retirement, though, that the next one would be for good. Uh, He has recently announced that he will assume his role with Fox Sports as an analyst in 2024. The fact that this move happened today means that the Buccaneers can take the brunt of his $35 million salary uh, as, as salary cap dead money in 2023 versus being able to divide it between 2023 and 2024 if they had altered the voidable years in his contract or waited until the summer to process the retirement. Uh, the Bucks are projected to be $60 million over the salary cap as they enter free agency. 
And right now, Kyle Trask is the only quarterback under contract. Do you think Brady owed them better? Do you think Brady owed the Buccaneers a chance to wait till June 1 and divide his money over 2023 and 2024? Does he owe him that? No, I don't think he owes him that. Uh, you know, he he did what he set out when he went to Tampa Bay, and he, he turned around the program, and he won them a Super Bowl, got them to the playoffs a couple times when they hadn't made the playoffs for a long time. So I, I, don't, think they, I don't think he owed him anything. I look at it, and I kind of go, like, you could hear the front office going, uh, you know, uh, it, you know, he could have helped us out here. Yeah, all he had to do is wait till June 1. You know, did you really need to do this now? But I think there there is something with Tom Brady where the finality of it, if he waits till June, it, I think it creates a lot of noise in his world with people going, wait a minute, he's left the door open. Is it possible that he could come back? And for him... He's at this point. I think he has to kind of do what's best for himself. And there are other other times that I think athletes need to do maybe to think about the roster, what's best for the team. But there just comes a point I think sometimes with an athlete like Brady where you kind of go, "Hey, man, if you're really going, file the paperwork so that there is no doubt about it." Well, isn't it good also because then the Bucks can really move forward? Like they they know yes. he's out. Yeah. Because if he doesn't, like it's just hanging over his head the whole time, and everybody's going, "Well, wait a minute, well, wait a minute," you know. And and the fact that he put off the Fox broadcast job for a year, like that alone became news. Guy, you know, puts a picture on Instagram of himself selling underpants, it becomes news. So I do think, like in this case, on one hand, if you're the Buccaneers, you know, the Kyle Trask era of Tampa Bay football has begun. And on the other hand, they know they are way over the cap and they got a problem. It makes Bruce Arians look smart. I mean, he walked away after winning the Super Bowl and, you know, he went to the front office. He doesn't have this headache as a head coach next season because they will be way over the cap and they're going to have to make a whole bunch of hard decisions. Punch It Audio is coming up. Uh, Anthony Davis, why he was mad. Find out next. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Well, we're going to play some punch and audio. We got great sound today. Anthony Davis, remember when he walked off the bench? LeBron had just passed Kareem, most points all time. Anthony Davis uh, just walked around and sat down. wasn't a uh, wasn't a big celebration. He wasn't there for his teammate. Well, Anthony Davis sounding off on that. Plus, uh, Kenny Smith talking about the NBA trade deadline. Big Super Bowl game going on. Huge game. Biggest game this weekend. We've got great sound from the Super Bowl as well. Coaches, players, everybody talking. Got it all as part of Punch and Audio. Let's do it. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. I want to go back, back, back. A couple of Super Bowls ago, Travis Kelsey 
In the post game of winning the Super Bowl a couple of years ago in 2020, Travis Kelsey talking about what it meant to win a Super Bowl for Andy Reid. Listen to this. <laughs> we got Coach Reid to win. That means I'm married to that son of a buck for the rest of my life. He can't get rid of me from now on. I can tell you that, baby. Can't get rid of me from now on. Well, guess what? Kelsey back in the Super Bowl with Patrick Mahomes helping carry Andy Reid. And really, look, if you're a Chiefs fan or an NFL fan looking at this game, there is a couple things going on here. You got Andy Reid. You got Kelsey. You got Mahomes. I think if the Chiefs win this thing, people are going to start talking a little bit. They're, they're going to start mentioning the D word, dynasty. It's not like the old NFL dynasties that stretched multiple years, but when the Kansas City Chiefs have been around this game and been around the AFC Championship game as often as they have, you have to start wondering about their legacy and how they will be viewed. They're still relatively young, but... You know, I was just looking today back at kind of the AFC picture in general, and we've seen teams dominate. But here comes Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs for the third time in four years. They find themselves, you know, on top in the AFC. Will they win another Super Bowl? Here's Andy Reid after Super Bowl 54. He was a Super Bowl champion. He's trying to get his second punch. Hey, Pat Mahomes and all of his boys, our defense, taking care of business. The coaches, man, a great job of keeping things right at the right time. Yeah, I mean, it was a beautiful thing. How much will Andy Reid, Mahomes, Kelsey, having been there before, factor in this game? If you're an Eagles fan, you say, hey, every game is big. All these players understand the stakes. But if you're building a case, if you're crafting a case for the Kansas City Chiefs to win this game, I think you are leaning into the idea that they are here in the Super Bowl. You know, they took last year off. The Bengals got there last year. But they're here in the Super Bowl, essentially looking at their third performance in four seasons. Keep an eye on it. DeMar Hamlin. What a crazy year it was for him. Monday Night Football, resuscitated on the field, in the hospital, out of the hospital. It was the most uplifting story of the year. DeMar Hamlin giving a speech at the NFL Honors Celebration. Listen to this. Punch it. First, I would like to just thank God for even being here. Every day, I am amazed that my experiences could encourage so many others across the country and even across the world. Encourage to pray, encourage to spread love, and encourage to keep fighting no matter the circumstances. Sudden cardiac arrest was nothing I would have ever chosen to be a part of my story. But that's because sometimes our own visions are too small, even when we think we are seeing the bigger picture. My vision was about playing in the NFL and being the best player that I could be. But God's plan was to have a purpose greater than any game in this world. My entire life, 
I felt like God was using me to give others hope. And now with a new set of circumstances, I can only say he's doing what he's always done. I have a long journey ahead, a journey full of unknowns and a journey full of milestones, but it's a lot easier to face your fears when you know your purpose. My third night awake in the hospital, I met an ICU doctor. His name was Yusuf. He told me he had a similar experience. He, t he showed me he was okay, and that meant so much to me. There was, so, there was so much uncertainty at the time, and just him coming to me, showing that I could live a normal life again, it meant so much to me in the moment. So I want to give a big thank you to him, and a special thank you to everyone on this stage for everything they did for me, and thank you everyone around the country and around the world who prayed for me and hoped for me. The journey will continue. There's Damar Hamlin. Really interesting MVP vote that came out. We already mentioned Patrick Mahomes is the winner. He got 50 uh, first place votes, 48 rather of the 50 first place votes. Uh, it was interesting to see Denny Kellington get a vote. Denny Kellington is the Buffalo Bills assistant trainer who performed CPR on DeMar Hamlin after he went into cardiac arrest. That, that vote came from Susie Kolber of ESPN who said it was a symbolic gesture representing everyone who carries the weight of that job every week. I thought that was really cool. Pivoting uh, to the back to the Super Bowl at hand, George Kittle, 49ers tight end, he talked about the moment he realized that the 49ers were in big trouble without a quarterback against the Eagles. Here's Kittle, punch it. Um, at the end of the day, it's absolutely brutal. You go to work for 11 months out of the year. You have coaches who are there 18 hours a day putting in game plans, sleeping on couches, players there 12 hours a day putting their body through it, getting extra rehab, not being with their families, going away from their families week in, week out. Uh, the grind of being critiqued, not just by your peers and coaches, but by the entire media and all the internet. Now that they release coaches' copies, people are just you know, throwing things at you on social media. So you're just in this grind for eight months. And to get to where you're, which is all, you know, all the Niners organization wants to do is win another Super Bowl. And uh, the Reds just pulled out from underneath and there's just nothing you could do at 13 and a half minutes left in the second, in the second half. So it's just kind of like, well then, uh, I, what do yeah. you do? Yeah, what do you do? Hey, they played out the game. Uh, I don't think the NFL is going to change the rules about active, eligible quarterbacks, but it certainly made me think about it. Should they have another quarterback position available? If so, who do you put in that role? Do you get a quarterback that you trust in the games? I mean, that's a whole nother, whole nother question. Sean Payton, new coach in Denver, says he wants to take some pressure off Russell Wilson. How's he going to do that? Punch it. Two allies for good quarterback play, a good defense and a good running game. Takes the pressure off, right? And so if you don't have a good defense or if you don't have a good running game, the quarterback climbs up to the high dive, and then and, and he's got to be better. And any of these quarterbacks, I, you know, you – I don't care. I mean, look, this kid in Kansas City is fantastic, but he starts getting that deep coverage umbrella. You know, he's going to have to utilize a running game, things to keep the defense off balance. And I felt like with Russell, that's certainly the case. If we looked at their Seattle formula, they played good defense. The running game wasn't always as good year to year, but they were committed to the running game with him. 
And then you got all the movement throws, you got all the different things he did. And so, to, to your question, I think there were a lot of things that club didn't do well last year. Yeah, easy for him to say he wasn't the coach and he wasn't around. But I think it's easier said than done. Yeah, of course, you want to have a good defense and a good run game to take the pressure off Russell Wilson. But Russell Wilson didn't play well even when he wasn't under pressure last year. He had some really bad games, and there were some games where Denver's defense kept them in the game. It'll be interesting to see if the coach can make that big a difference, but I think what he's trying to do here is he's trying to get comfortable with Russell Wilson, trying to find a structure in this team or some balance in this team where they can get Russell Wilson some help. Uh, They're stuck with him because of the contract, but I'm really curious to see how that all goes for him. Anthony Davis, remember he was on the bench when LeBron hit that shot that put him past Kareem as the NBA's all-time leading scorer. Davis did not appear happy for LeBron. Anthony Davis was asked about it. Here's what he said. Punch it. Sad about the game. I mean, we lose to Oklahoma City Thunder, a game we needed. And I was pissed off that we were losing. It's that simple. I mean, it's nothing had to do with with LeBron. He knows that. I mean, everybody else outside looking in, that's their opinion. But, um... I was pissed off that we were losing the game. I don't buy it. I don't know if you buy it, but I don't believe Anthony Davis was so mad about the game that he couldn't be happy for his teammate. I think that's uh, something he's come up with afterwards. Something going on with Anthony Davis and LeBron, or maybe just Anthony Davis. Who knows? Meanwhile, Kenny Smith on Inside the NBA talked about the trade deadline and how much parity he sees in the NBA. How many teams could win this thing? Punch it. This is the first time in the NBA there's probably seven or eight teams who said we can win it. Uh, Typically there's two or three. And so when those two teams made the move to try to win it, the other teams have to follow. They have to make smaller moves, big moves, or whatever. Uh, You know, you might say, what, you know, Kevin Durant is a big move. But, you know, I'm just going back into even to when our era when Mario Ellie came to our team people didn't think that was a big move that was a guy who helped us win an NBA championship in a big way he played multiple positions and he was a key member of that that so, can be like a Jay Crowder to Milwaukee move a hundred percent it could be what PJ Tucker was two years ago with them uh, when uh, you know uh, as well well I think what Kenny's getting at is you don't see a team running away with the East and you really don't see a team running away with the West. I mean, Denver was starting to pull away with a a four-and-a-half game lead at the deadline over Memphis. But in the Eastern Conference, you know, you had four teams that were within five games of the lead, five teams within six games of the lead. If you go, you know, so it was fairly tight in both conferences, and I think that's good for the game of basketball. And, you know, but we don't have a team like the Warriors or the Bulls or the Lakers back in the 80s that is looking to set an NBA record for you know win percentage in a season, and some of that makes more teams feel like they have a chance at the deadline. I think that's natural, and you know everybody feels a little more engaged. This is good for the game. It's like the NFL. Roger Goodell's done something good in creating and generating and fostering parity. Much more ahead. You got the bald-faced truth. We're going to talk about what your peeve is. I want you to line up right now. We're going to play it in the next segment. 
What is bothering you? What do you need to get off your chest? I've got a peeve. I want to hear yours as well. Line up now and grab those lines at 503-417-7575. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Anna's popped into the studio uh, to join us for this segment. We are going to play What Is Your Peeve? What has been bothering you? What is on your mind? That thing you don't want to take into the weekend that uh, you want to get off your chest here. Uh, I want you to line up right now. We've got two lines open at 503-417-7575. Does the sound of styrofoam bother you? Uh, Tailgaters on the freeway? What is it that bugs you? What has occurred to you in the course of your week? And you're like, oh, i got to call in and share that one. Because sometimes when you share... Uh, there's a catharsis that happens from others who go, oh, yeah, that bothers me, too. I'm not alone in this. We do this every Friday, 503-417-7575. What's your peeve? Oh, that pisses me off. That pisses me right off. Call 503-417-7575 and tell Kinzano what's your peeve on the BFT. Brought to you by Revolution Dental Implant Center. A smile revolution, one day solution. Okay, I have a peeve. Has to do with the airlines, but I want to hear yours as well at 503-417-7575. You can line up now. Steven, Peter, Anna, who wants to go first here? Who has a peeve that is just ready to fly off the tip of your tongue? I'm ready to go. Go. I'm ready to go. Uh, all right, so... This, and this is probably a peeve for my wife, too, what I do to her. But So I knew she had something going on tonight, and I was going to be in charge of the kids, and we're just trying to you know, talk out our days, talk out our weekend. And I said, what time are you coming home on Friday? And she looks at me like I am just the biggest doofus in the world, and I'm like, I know you're busy. I know you got something going on. I just want to know, are you going to be home at 7 or at, like, 10? Am I putting the kids to bed? And I was like, and then Saturday, I know you got something going on too. Like, what's that? She's like, I already told you. And I'm like, well, yeah, I know that, but I don't want to go through my text messages. Look, why can't you just tell me? And her response was just, I just want you to know. And I'm like, all right, well, can't you just tell me again, like, how hard is it going to be? I just, it drives me nuts. Yeah. You but, want to know what you're getting into, and you're actually trying to just confirm with her. Yeah, like, I, I know yeah. I know there's plans going on. I know she's busy. I just want to kind of confirm and think in my head, like, all right, I have some ideas of what I want to do. Like, let me think about it before, except for go on my phone and go back, you know, four days worth of text messages. I mean, come on. Do you think that she would also call in and say, this is my peeve as well? Yeah, totally. That I, totally. I text Stephen early in the week <laughs> because what she I'm gathering. She would, I, I know exactly what she would say. She would say, what? put it in your calendar. She goes, because she, she, she's so yeah. organized. She puts everything in her calendar and I don't. I just go off the seat of my pants. She would say, Stephen, you need to put it in your calendar. I've told you this numerous times. So, yeah, it's a peeve on both sides. Anna and I do this all the time. (laughs) And what I do is I will go back to try to look at her text message, but now I'm scrolling through all the TikToks she sends me, all of the things like the grocery list. Exactly, exactly. I hear, like, a picture of the kids, and I'm looking (laughs) for, like, what she said we were going to do. I just thought of that while you were doing that. I was like, do we have something to do tonight? Uh, Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I don't want to go through eight days of text messages. Like, I know you sent it to me, but can you just tell me one more time and I'll remember? You're just like the restaurant host or hostess who's getting the phone call from the person who already made a reservation, who's calling back to check and see, was it 7 or 7.30? (laughs) 
I just right? need, I just need the confirmation. Yeah. That's all I need. Yeah. Does that relate? Do you relate to that, Anna? Oh, I don't. I I've never felt that way at all. No, not no. This is totally foreign. Um, two words: family calendar, shared calendar. Because uh, I I have a calendar. I I'm the only one that puts things in it and takes things away from it. But if John has a question about our schedule, I can be like, refer to the family calendar. <laughs> there she, it is. I think and I gave her access to add stuff to my calendar on my phone, but I don't know. Maybe you I don't look Maybe at I didn't. It. Yeah, I don't know. It's just easier for you to ask her again. It uh, is, let's, yeah. Let's go <laughs> to the for him. For him. Let's go to the phone lines. I've got one, too, but I want Megan in Portland to go next. Megan, you're up. What's up? Yeah, my peeve, I, uh, I answer phones with my work for a living, and it drives me crazy when people have a name that's not spelled how you think it would be, but mm. they don't tell you how to spell it. Give us an example. And then you have to just assume, and it's never right. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I think names in general, like when you have a baby, I think you should project, okay, <laughs> What is this person going to be like at 35, 55, 75? You know, you don't want to. I mean, yeah. I can relate. My name is Megan, but it's spelled with an extra A as opposed to an H or just, you know, M-E-G-A-N. But I tell everyone that. It's, and yeah. the people that just say, like, yeah, my name is Brittany. You're like, okay. And then they're like, you spell it normally. And they're like, no, it's B-R-I-T-T-T-N-I-E-Y. And you're like, okay. Could you lead with that, please? Thank you, Megan, with an extra A. Because there is no normal way to spell Brittany yeah. these days, you know? Well, I just, look, I'm John. Yeah, with an H. With an H. You're Anna. Two we, S. We named the two younger kids Graziana, who we call Zia, and Sojourner, after Sojourner Truth, who we call Soji. Guilty as charged. The... No, but here's the best part. Like when we take a flight and you're going through TSA and you know how they look at the boarding pass and then they look at the kid and they say, well, which one? And they look at the names and you can see their wheels turning as they look at the names. And the guy usually says, I'm not even going to try this. And he just hands the thing back. And <laughs> it's the old, are you being kidnapped test? Yes. Yeah. If, if you want to kidnap a kid and take him through TSA, just sign him up with a name that's not able to be pronounced <laughs> they won't even try uh all right tim's in eugene tim what's your peeve my beef is with those people that eat food and scrape their teeth against the fork <sighs> they are the worst people on the planet um i think uh especially if it's really quiet it uh it is a problem i used to uh have a co-worker back at a newspaper, one of my first stops, he would eat uh, those little yogurt cups, mm -hmm. and he would get his spoon. Like a Yoplait cup? Yeah, he would get his spoon. First thing he would do is he would scrape the cup. Yeah, stir up the fruit. No, but then he'd be scraping every little thing to the point where we're like, just lick it. <laughs> like he's scraping off microscopic bits of yogurt. And then he did the same thing. He would The, the spoon would hit his teeth. I don't and get that because isn't that uncomfortable to the person who's actually it eating? It was uncomfortable for the rest of us. We called him on it eventually. We're like, that is really distracting what you're doing. <laughs> uh, 
right there. All right, here's my peeve. And look, this opens a line at 503-417-7575. We're going to take some more calls here. But uh, I was recently on an airline, and there was a there was a couple that had an obvious brand new baby. Okay, this baby was couldn't have been a month old, and they're traveling with the baby, and they uh, and that's fine. The ba- they were holding the baby in their arms. The baby didn't make a peep for the whole flight. Like didn't distract. No, you know nobody was upset. But the mother had an obvious medical situation that was going on. The mom had. Um, kind of a loose-fitting shirt on, and I could see that there was a port of some kind in her upper chest area when mm-hmm. she got on the plane. And I thought, oh, gosh, like, she looks like she's got, like, maybe she's getting chemo, maybe she's got some kind of medical, like there's some drainage that is coming out of her chest or something. Like, like that's a that looks serious, right? Mm-hmm. So I was mindful of that, and I noticed them when they got on the plane, and then they happened to be seated across from me on the plane. And we were fairly towards the front of the plane. We were in like row six or so, and they were across from me. And so, you know, I kind of looked over a couple times during the flight. You know, they were feeding the baby. They had a bottle out, you know. And then the plane landed. But we had we had uh, Delta Airlines had a bunch of crew members that were seated in the row behind us, okay? It was like a couple of pilots, a couple of flight attendants. They were obviously flying on a in a jump seat to or an extra seat to get to Salt Lake City Airport and then they were going to get on their flight or whatever and work okay mm-hmm. it was obvious that that was happening that's fine but the plane landed and it's that stupid thing that everybody does when the plane lands and everybody on the plane stands up <laughs> i don't mind that you stand up we all need to stretch our legs in fact i like to stand up too but i stand up and i stay in my area yeah but there was one of the flight attendants that was seated in the row behind us stood up and kind of moved almost even with my chair, which made me, it raised my radar. And I was like, are you trying to sneak in front of us? And then I was looking over at the other couple, and the husband was on the aisle, and the wife and the baby were in the middle seat. And I was really trying to be polite to the husband and wife and be like, hey, let's let them off the plane first. They're Mm -hmm. obviously dealing with a newborn baby and some kind of medical situation. And so I waved the husband into the row as people were starting to deplane. The husband saw me. He stepped into the row. He stepped forward. His wife should have been the next person to enter the freeway on ramp, so to speak, in the middle of the plane, right? Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. Instead, over-eager... Older flight attendant who should have known better jumps up right on tailgates the husband, cuts the wife and the newborn baby off, like in a way that pissed me off. I have this weird sense of I need to have like I would have been great in like the Wild West, you know I would have been deputized. I would have been out there like patrolling, <laughs> looking for people that are you know stealing cattle or whatever. I have this sense of justice where I immediately saw that flight attendant as the enemy of everyone on that plane. So I said something to her as she walked by. I said, rude. And she heard me. And then I put my arm up, like, to the other flight attendants and the crew that were, like, starting to move forward. And I said, hey, she's going to get into the – we're going to let her off first. And they did stop. They were mindful of it. Like you none were of them, saying the mom and the baby should. Yeah, go mom first. and the baby need to go. Yeah, like you let them catch up to the husband who's like who just stepped into the aisle in that stupid flight attendant. So they get everyone gets off the plane, 
the the couple as they see me go by the husband looks at me he heard me say rude and he kind of nodded at me like hey thank you and then I went up the jetway well I found myself wanting to gain ground on that flight attendant oh boy. I couldn't let it go I know yeah and long jetway cringing uh -huh. I caught her at the top of the jetway yeah and I kind of did an Edward Moses hurdle in front of her <laughs> and cut her off and I sl and I turned to her and I said, first time on a plane, just to kind of double down, like you know, she's a flight attendant. She's like a she's about a 55 year old flight attendant. Okay. Okay. And she said, you get out of here. Like she was she was having a bad day. Yeah. And I as I left, I I didn't say anything else to her. I just left. But I kind of thought to myself, well, maybe she was late for a flight. She had to get mm -hmm. to and catch her connection or whatnot. So I looked back. No, she sat down in the boarding area. Mm. She was in such a hurry to cut this lady off. It's just plain rude. And I expect that from people who have never been on a plane before. If you're like Eddie Murphy and coming to America, you're allowed to cut people off getting off the plane and be rude. And then someone can go, hey, here's how we get off a plane, you know, in a country that has planes. But for a flight attendant, that's just rude. Surprising. Did Do you I feel her? better? I did feel a little better. I gotta be honest with you. When I said first time on a plane, Do you feel better right now? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> Delayed gratification. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little. I don't know. What's your peeve, Anna? That's my peeve, by the way. Rude oh, flight attendant. Rude flight attendant. Um, mine is uh, one of our kids uh, has been doing an activity after school for the last year or so. We. Never do this. We never prepay for kids' activities mm. because you just don't know what's going to happen. Our kids are six and eight. They're fickle, and they could love something and then decide three days later they hate it and never want to do it again. So, like, any reasonable parent is going to say, yeah, it's probably not wise for us to prepay because we're just going to be out a bunch of money if there's no refund. So in this particular circumstance, we were pressured very heavily at this time last year to prepay mm -hmm. for a year of this activity I remember and this. against our better wisdom we did it um not even a month later the place shut down right i remember that they oh went, they went, went bankrupt they went bankrupt they went bankrupt yeah. the place closed up shop we showed up for class and there was a sign on the door that said here's the bankruptcy attorney that you Sucker. should call and i did everything that i could to try and get the money back and I couldn't get anyone to respond. I, like, tracked down the owner, emailed his personal email, messaged him on LinkedIn, nothing, just crickets. Bankruptcy attorney was like, nothing we can do until it's settled in bankruptcy court. I was so, I was sick to my stomach because I was like, this is, this is it. I mean, this is exactly why we don't prepay. Fortunately, the place opened up under new ownership a few months later. Okay, so everything's good. Everything's not good because we the the child <laughs> continued in the activity, which is great. You know, had great time doing lessons, and then you know, just in the last couple of months, she said, "I'm kind of done with this activity. I'm not as interested anymore." So I called the place, and uh, it, it was obviously it was time for renewals. They wanted another year of membership, and I said, "You know, we're good. Like she's ready to take a break and move on to some other sports," and the. Uh, audacity of the person on the other line who 
just doesn't really understand sales was the response was well if you really don't want your child to continue learning how to be focused and disciplined uh oh they're shaming you they're shaming me the sales tactic was full of shame I was like, oh, well, we've already made our mind up. You shaming me is not going to make me change my mind. Further, the person on the other end of the line said, well, and frankly, according to our records, you only paid for six months of lessons, so you've been taking lessons for free since August. Oh, shaming you, for sure. Further shame. And I was like, no, 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 no. That is a mistake. Because I know for a fact that we signed up for a full year of lessons. This was not a small amount of money for our family. And I am not going to mess that up. Like, I know that I'm right on this. And I went searching for the documentation to prove it, which I found, which I sent to this person, to which I got no response. <laughs> None. Again. So in the end, in the end, you not you you didn't get ripped off. So no, you're not a sucker, no. but you got kind of shamed in the end. Yes. And culturally, is that a bigger issue? It for probably you? is a bigger is that issue. An Asian thing. Probably. Like, probably. You know, like I never want to feel like I'm taking advantage of anybody yeah. or that I'm getting something for free that I don't deserve. Anything like any hint of that is really against everything that I stand for. So to have been, like, ended this, you know, year-long process uh, this way, that that's my pee for the week. I love that Oh, one. gosh. I'm still you were, so you were fired. You were I've... way fired up about it, and I was like, what's the big deal when you first mentioned it? But now that I'm watching you, you're, like, spitting mad over this. Yeah. And I can tell that part of it is is you, like, culturally, <laughs> you don't want to feel like you took advantage of anybody. No! That's, that goes back to your mother. Oh, yeah. And your father yeah. going, like, I didn't understand that until, like, I dined with your mom. Yeah. And she does, like, she wants to make sure that I get the last piece of food, right. even if I'm not hungry. Yeah. Like, she doesn't want the perception that there wasn't enough food there. Right. You know what I mean? Right. That yeah. was not a thing in an Italian household. Yeah. It was, a, it was an eating contest <laughs> in an Italian household. <laughs> I want more of your phone calls. 503-417-7575. You get the floor. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Gary Payton uh, the second has apparently failed the physical, placing the uh, four-team deal between uh, Golden State, the Blazers, Detroit, and Atlanta in jeopardy. He's got a core muscle injury that could sideline him for several months. Uh, the Warriors have examined GP the second. Might help explain part of uh, his reluctance to be on the court in Portland. But he has failed the physical. Uh, the Warriors have until tomorrow to either go through with the trade or rescind the entire deal. Keep an eye on that. Let's go back to the phone lines. What's your peeve? I have one line open at 503-417-7575. Uh, let's go to Mark in Beaverton who's going to share his peeve. Mark, what's your peeve? So, hi, Anna and John. So I was going through my uh, memory Rolodex trying to come up with something, and then I'm going to piggyback off of your example. She clearly was representing the airline, and yet she made a bonehead move, which not everybody is going to 
is going to realize that, but you did. I'm in customer service. I probably would have realized it too, that she was rude enough to cut up, cut up the gas. That's my pet peeve, is that people who clearly are representing the company in that situation, you just tell, and they don't use their head, and they, like I said, pull a bonehead stunt like that, and it just looks bad on the company. It's like, that's really a person who is customer-facing, and that's how they act in public? Uh, you know, that's to me, that's a, big, a huge pet peeve. Yeah, and, and look, I uh, we saw this movie the other night that I think you really should go see if you're looking for a movie to see, A Man Called Otto. It's the uh, Tom Hanks movie. And I thought about the flight attendant because I thought, I don't know what else is going on in her life. Like, maybe she got horrendous news right before she got on the flight. So, you know, maybe one of her family members was in critical condition. She's rushing to get off the plane. But if not, then she's just plain rude. <laughs> so one of those two things. But I'm with Mark there. I don't like when employees are rude to customers. And I don't like when customers are rude to employees. Like, I would have, like, let's just say you reverse that and it's a uh, customer treating a flight attendant like garbage. I would have been just as mad. I have that same sense of, I don't know what that is. Like, I almost have, like, one of those old sheriff's badges pinned to my shirt in that moment, and I feel like it's my job to chase her down and let her know she was out of line. You're a justice keeper? Like, I need a lasso or something. <laughs> lasso. I, I, you know, I could have, like, lassoed her heels as she was going up the jetway and, and dragged her back and said, not so fast, lady. David's oh, in Vancouver. David, welcome to the show. Yeah, so uh, my peeve is a peeve and an apology. Okay. Uh, a couple of months ago, I called in. The peeve is towards me. The apology is uh, towards Anna. I okay. called in uh, about, I had uh, texted about some BFT business, and then Anna texted me back, and then it ended abruptly. Not abruptly, but it, it did improperly, and I called her out on the air <laughs> about that. Okay. Was Anna rude? Was Anna rude? No, no, no. No, remember I just said, like, the uh, the tech didn't end. Like, okay, you two oh, or something like that. you were looking yeah, for yeah. a goodbye. You were looking for yeah. a, hey, nice to talk I, to you. I ghosted yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> ghosted you. I'm so but sorry. <laughs> the other day, I was I think it was Tuesday, I was expecting a phone call. And I was at work. And I kept checking my, you know, oh, no call, no call. And I finally got a call. And there was a voicemail, but it wasn't the call I was looking for. And it said, you have 86 voicemails. And so on my lunch break, I went beep, 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 and I deleted all the way through listening to Anna had left me a message the day before my peeve day. And it was the <laughs> sweetest message, and I never got it. I never listened to it. And then the, ne and then the next day, I call her out on air that she's a poor texter, and I'm so sorry. And oh, my gosh. I'm mad at myself. That is so and nice you, of you to call back. I, like, you were very sweet on the phone. It, let it me was tell you, Adam, you should have handled this, David, is you should have not let her know that she was right. <laughs> You'll never hear okay. the end of it now. Oh. <laughs> Just, well, I'm not married, so that doesn't affect me. Yeah. But, uh, so, yeah, David, anyway. is, David, your peeve is you. Yes. Okay. Check your voicemails. You I had go. 86 voicemails. Yeah. Oh, Before wow. you get mad at someone for not being cordial, make sure that they haven't been cordial. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Dre is in Portland. When Dre calls, Dre gets on the air. Dre, what's up, man? Jay, I cannot stand people who have drive like your kid signs in their neighborhood, <laughs> but then drive crazy as hell 
in my neighborhood. <laughs> Are you Can't following them home or what? Like, <laughs> how do you know it's the same people? I know it's them. <laughs> I go from home. I look out the window all the time. Believe me, I know it's them. And you know what? I'm not going to talk about anybody, but I am. A lot of them are these mothers that mm-hmm. are at home picking 100%. their kids up, driving up the street, going 60 in a 25. Yep. It's the truth. I it's mean, those, no disrespect. It's, it's those the damn truth. moms. <laughs> <laughs> so They're rushing over from their Starbucks coffee date. Yeah. Dre? Uh, do you shake, like, do you shake a fist at them when they go by, or what do you do? I just look. I just look. I'm just, you know, I give them the disappointment. Like, when you're disappointed in your child, you just kind of yeah. look at them and be like, yep. just a disappointment. But, you know, it's, we're, we're all humans. It, it, it's human nature, but it's just, just respect. That's all. Just, just a little bit of respect. I 100% agree with Dre there. If you have a sign in your neighborhood that says, drive like your kids live here, then you should do that in other people's neighborhoods, too. I'm looking at you, moms. Dre and I, very disappointed with all the moms out there driving oh, like yeah. maniacs. Oh, yeah, Devin's just in, the moms. Devin's in Beaverton. That's Devin, so welcome. Crap. Hey, guys, how's it going? Good. Uh, first off, I want to say the timing of this segment couldn't be any better because i got to get some stuff off my chest before I go referee some basketball. Uh, so kudos on the timing. <laughs> uh my peeve is the toilet paper or the paper towel dispensers. They give you like the eighth the length of a normal size paper towel, and yes. you have to swipe it twelve times to get a normal size paper towel. Amen. Yeah, that all this automation going on in the bathrooms is a little alarming, isn't it? Like, no, you know, I get the fl- the flushing, the self flushing. That's cool. That was a great advancement. But can I just get a faucet where I can turn it on? <laughs> I gotta wave my hand under it, and then Devin, you're right. I gotta get the soap dispenser to work. The faucet to work, and now if I if I happen to luck into those two things, Devin, I turn towards the paper towel dispenser, and what does it give you? Three inches of paper towel. Yeah, sometimes you clap at it. That doesn't even work. It's like a second language of sign language, and no one knows. <laughs> Nobody knows it. Thank you, Devin. It's a great point. Oh, yeah. A lot of automation in the I, bathroom. I immediately look down on whatever business is only giving you like four inches of paper towel. Yeah, if they do that, I'm I I judge the entire business. Yes, the whole business. Yeah, the whole business if, if, is there's negative in my eyes. If we run, <laughs> if we own a restaurant someday, people are going to be delighted when they use the bathroom because they're going to go in there and you're going to get a bath sized towel <laughs> that comes out of that dispenser, okay, of paper, and you're going to go, oh, this is a classy joint. Or you're going to get one of those machines that's like a leaf blower, and you stick your hands into it. Stephanie's yeah, in yeah. Hillsboro. Stephanie, yeah. what's your peeve? Okay, so first of all, I want to talk about that airline thing, because I've been married 27 years. My husband likes the aisle. I like the window. But when he gets out first, he backs up and lets me come out and go right in front of him. Yeah. That's so, what he should have done. Now, my biggest pet peeve is people that walk into an elevator before people are exiting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That drives me crazy. I want to mm-hmm. say, can you just wait till we got people coming off? Right. Yeah. Anyway, it's rude. That's all I had. That's yeah, rude. Yeah. I'm and a second caller. Love your show. Thank you. I appreciate you. Call back okay. another time. All right. She brought it right there. Like our kids even know that one, you know? Yeah. But, but she's right about the box out. Yeah. I thought about it after that the husband's move 
shouldn't have been to go into the aisle and move forward. The husband's move should have been to go in the aisle and move back. But that flight attendant had crept up to the point where there wasn't a lot of room. Mm-hmm. But he could have, you know, got wide like Charles Oakley in the on a rebound and put his backside into her suitcase and backed her up a little bit. Yeah. That yeah. would have been the move mm-hmm. by the husband there. Yeah. All husbands should learn that move. Father-in-laws to be, teach your son-in-law to be that move if they're ever going to be flying. Here's how you, uh, here's how you navigate uh, all these people who are antsy to get off the plane and save four seconds. Uh, you got to get big in the aisle way. Uh, Peter Sampson hasn't gone. He'll go coming up. Plus, Sam in Portland and whoever else wants to line up right now at 503-417-7575. Get it off your chest. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. Peter Sampson, you have not gone yet on this great segment of What's Your Peeve? It's dominated this hour. What's on your mind, Peter? Uh, yeah, I I have a fairly legitimate peeve. Now, it's not as intense as uh, some of the great calls we've taken over the last 20, 30 minutes. But I've got a peeve with my fancy schmancy uh, thermostat. We And I've complained about the, the remodel uh, that we did at the house. It feels like I've been complaining about that for a year on this show. Well, it's, it's been done for quite some time. Turned it into our bedroom, nice little loft, and we got the, the zonal heating, you know. But the thing is, dialing in that thermostat has been brutal. 66 degrees, and I am freezing my you-know-what off at night. I bump it up one degree, and I'm sweating like I'm in the Sahara Desert. I cannot find a neutral temperature, John. Uh, it's That's a tough one, man. That's a really hard one. It's a, real, it's a first-world problem. We all know that, but still. <laughs> Most of these are. Still. Still, ninety nine percent of these are. Yeah, yeah, it's beside the point. My pet monkey hates <laughs> this caviar. Yeah, I beg to differ. I beg to differ. Mine was not. <laughs> oh, yeah, yours is a third world problem. Yeah. You and your wife can't Definitely. get your schedules straight. Oh, yeah, totally. Stephen's wife is on line six. Yeah, calling in. Happens to have the same peeve that Stephen has. Involves <laughs> him. Uh, so, is there a resolution, Peter, to that? How do you solve that? Uh, I'm not sure, man. I mean, it either involves adding blankets or removing clothing. I'm not sure which. Stephen, I can't get Peter removing clothing out of my image, out of my (laughs) mind now. (laughs) Stay tuned. Keep that in your mind for the weekend. The pulse with Peter Sampson. (laughs) Can you do it as quickly as Stephen can? (laughs) Coming up next. No. Uh, No. That's that's hard now. Slowly, but I can hold eye contact longer. (laughs) <laughs> Sam in Portland is called in. Sam, what's your peeve, man? Well, John, first, before I tell you my peeve, uh, Happy New Year. I don't think I've talked to you this year. We're, we're, in, <laughs> we're in February. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Merry Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. I tried to call you the first new year. Happy. And, and this I'm, is the latest Happy New Year that I've ever gotten. <laughs> But listen, in, in all seriousness, I tried to call you after the first of the year, couldn't get through it. I wanted to tell you, I'm buttering you up before my peeve, is that, you know, I really appreciate you and everything you do. And, and the thing that sticks out to me the most is the stories that you do, the humanitarian stories that you've done over the years. Ah, uh, thank you, man. Uh, you know, and I remember the first time I, I read you or heard about you when you came to, to the city, and I was just like, who is this guy, you know? Who is this um, bozo? Hey, by the know, way, happy, really, happy Monday. Thank you. Thank you. It's Friday, I think. 
Hey, uh, we're going to run out of time for your peeve, though. Can you hang on after the break and you could give your peeve? Because yeah. I don't yeah. want you to run out of time. Now you've buttered me up. You're going to punch me in the stomach, no doubt. So stay tuned. <laughs> Sam, who's enjoying a lovely New Year's Day today, um, is going to give us his peeve after the break here. Then Anna's going to give us the five at five. You're going to be a little late on the five at five, but not as late as Sam. Okay. <laughs> That's next. Leave it here. You got the bald face truth. Leave it in. B F F T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald face truth. Sounds like the Blazers could be in some trouble with this trade. We'll talk about it this hour. Again, if you were uh, tracking the trade deadline, Blazers involved in a four-team deal with the Warriors, sending Gary Payton II to the Warriors. It turns out Gary Payton uh, II has been playing through some pain and that the Blazers training staff has been giving him Toradol shots to help him stay on the court. Uh, the Warriors have until tomorrow. Uh, it's an anti-inflammatory, by the way. Um, and, and it, the Warriors have until tomorrow to veto this trade or rescind the deal, send Peyton back to Portland. It'll be interesting to see what they do with Gary Payton II. Um, and there could be some possible punitive damages here assessed to the Blazers, who did not disclose that they were treating Gary Payton II with uh, Toradol. So really uh, problematic for the Blazers. If their trade deadline couldn't have got any more disappointing, it happened. Anna will do the 5 at 5 coming up. Sam in Portland's going to finish his call. He was buttering me up, no doubt, setting me up. Yeah, and he's going to sweep the leg now. Go ahead, Sam. What's on your mind? What's your peeve? John, I don't know if my peeve is as much with you as it is with Barnum. I am... I am tired of his act. I'm tired of him coming on your show and every year saying how great they're going to be, that this is the team, yada, yada, yada. And every year we continue to see the same results. And I'm reminded, I don't know if you got it, I sent it to you, the, uh, the article you wrote in 2009 about Glanville and kind of where he was. His act was wearing thin. He, ha he was owed like 180000 his last year. Um, and you said, you know, uh, the, the money is important. They got to pay him, but not doing, you know, doing nothing is uh, could be more important. So, mm -hmm. you know, Mike, I'm just tired of hearing Barnum and not seeing the results on the field as as a Portland State alumni and fan. And you know, he went four and seven last year, lost to the worst team in, in Big Sky. When when are we going to see something? When are the results actually going to come through? And with this number one signing, this class. We, if he doesn't do it next year, what's the future? That's yeah. my team. I'm just tired yeah. of hearing about his act and not seeing results, John. Yeah, I don't, I don't blame you for that. I mean, I think a lot of people are frustrated, and I think a lot of people are nervous about where the Big Sky Conference fits in college football. I mean, look, Pokey Allen had tremendous success at Portland State, but they were not a Division One football team when Pokey Allen was, you know, coaching. Portland State they you know they were playing in the Western Football Conference and that's Division two scholarship and it was just a different time different 
era, different league. Now they're playing in a uh, in a world where they have to go play against Pac-12 and SEC schools and major conferences in the non-conference schedule so that they can make a bunch of money for the rest of the athletic department and they get all beat up in the first three games of the year and then they go into their conference schedule. Now, Bruce Barnum's win percentage is better than his predecessor, Nigel Burton. It's significantly better than Jerry Glanville was. Not as good as Tim Walsh, who came in the wake of Pokey Allen. But this is supposed to be the year for Barnum. And, you know, I looked at last year. I wasn't bothered by the record last year. The record, the one that really surprised me was, you know, he went 9-3 and in 2015. They made the playoffs. They were ranked in, in, in the top 10 in, you know, in their level of football. And FCS football, they were they were in the top ten and nine and three, and it felt to me like Portland State in 2016, 2017, 2018 should have been a lot better than they were. But you know, he came on the show this week. I, I I'm encouraged by the signing class. It was the best class at his division of football west of the Mississippi, and let's see what he does with it. But. It's a different animal right now than it was when Pokey Allen was putting meteors in people's front yards and saying, come see Division Two Portland State play games. I also think if you're going to fire Bruce Barnum, you better have whoever's going to come in his wake ready because uh, I think it's a tough place to win when you don't have administrative support and you don't have a home football stadium. But the fact that he had the best recruiting class in the Big Sky Conference without a home football stadium, it raised my eyebrows. John is in Vancouver. We're going to let John go, too, okay? Yeah, yeah. You mind that? No. Okay. John, yeah. you're going to get to go last. John, what's your peeve? Well, it's hype. The latest one is LeBron and Kareem. Mm -hmm. Points aren't what counts because Kareem had very few, if any, three-point shots. What should be counted is field goals and free throws for both of them. Then you'd get an even field. Do you think Kareem was a better player than LeBron? No, I just think that calling LeBron having the highest scoring uh, title is yeah. not correct. It's apples and oranges because Kareem had very few, if any, three-point shots to build his point total. It's a good point. Yeah, different era, too, and scoring yes. was uh, harder to come by at that time. So yes. uh, do you think we yeah. should uh, get LeBron on the show and tell him a uh, – we're taking back the scoring title. You uh, actually don't have as as many, as many baskets, made yeah. made baskets, and yeah. you you can get back to us when you you know make another thousand and fifty about fifteen hundred baskets away from Kareem. Hmm. Yeah, Not and many. also same sort of thing has happened in football where they've forgotten the fourteen game season, the sixteen game season, which is now just passed. Yeah, and a lot they of should records. be classified for records that are in those errors. Yeah, it's like when baseball went from 148 to 154 to 162 games. You had to be mindful of the fact that, you know, uh, did you break the record within the same number of games that were played? I think that's fair, too. See? That's a peeve. That's a legit peeve, guys. Enough of this first world stuff. Anna, <laughs> let's do the five at five. Steven, you ready? Cue it up. The Five at Five. The number one story as Anna sees it here in the 5 o'clock hour. Uh, Michael Irvin, 
fighting back. He's filed a lawsuit against the hotel and the woman who was at the hotel alleging misconduct by him. He's claiming that he's been railroaded with these allegations. Uh, This is Michael Irvin, the former wide receiver who is part of the NFL Network Super Bowl coverage. He got pulled from the coverage after the woman's uh, accusations uh, came out. Details of her specific accusation have not been made public, but basically he's alleging that there was absolutely no sexual wrongdoing. He's baffled by the whole thing. He's claiming this all happened in a 45-second conversation in the lobby. He says he what talked did he say to her? To the, he says he talked to this girl, calls her girl, girl. Uh, doesn't know her, talked to her for 45 seconds, they shook hands, and then he left, and that's all he knows. Nah, I don't buy that. Something was said. Something was said that caused him to be pulled from the broadcast. I also think this is, like, I'm reading between the lines here. There had to be an issue with the NFL Network that, that predated this. You don't pull him off the broadcast and say he's not part of the coverage unless you had had maybe some prior issues with Michael Irvin. So he can sue. Uh, His lawyer's claiming that he's the latest victim of cancel culture. All it takes is an accusation to ruin a person's life. Maybe. I need to hear more. I need to hear hear more. And the fact that the NFL Network pulled him off the coverage team is really curious. I like to, you know, before I render a verdict and before the public renders a verdict, I think we need to hear a little bit more on that. Number two, Anna, go. Anthony Davis explaining the video that showed him sitting on the bench looking all pouty when LeBron James broke the NBA scoring record that the guy in Vancouver has a problem with. Uh, We all saw that. Anthony Davis was not among the people who were all jumping up and down and excited. Uh, We thought maybe he was a sore loser on that. And you have the audio of his explanation. Here he is explaining why he didn't celebrate LeBron. Sad about the game. I mean, we lose to the Oklahoma City Thunder game we needed. And I was pissed off that we were losing. It's that simple. I mean, it's nothing had to do with, with Brian. He knows that. I mean, everybody else outside looking in, that's their opinion. But um, I was pissed off that we were losing the game. Right. He just He's a great team player, Anna cheer for the team not the player well he's saying he called lebron to apologize afterwards and then did so again thursday at shoot around oh and that on both occasions lebron dismissed the concerns and assured him that he understood davis that he was simply caught up in the heat of competition yeah it was still a weird thing to do i don't believe it (laughs) i don't believe anthony davis (laughs) i think lebron's being gracious anthony davis could have very easily said um, you know, I'm frustrated about the game, but man, that's a great moment for LeBron. Let me at least get on my feet and watch it. You know, but you know, he was so mad at the fact that they were going, that they went on to lose this game, that he was pouting during the game. That's ridiculous. Number three, go. Uh, Drake is betting nearly a million dollars on the Super Bowl. A million dollars. The rapper posted receipts today showing seven bets that he placed on the matchup he's wagering nearly a million dollars nine hundred sixty five thousand dollars if he wins each bet he could rake in 
$3.5 million. Um, he's going Chiefs all the way, plunking down $700,000 on the team, even though Philadelphia is favored to win by 1.5 points. He is uh, a well-known whale in the sportsbook world oh, really? and in the casino world. Uh, Aria Casino in Las Vegas says they welcome him with open arms because he wagers $200,000 a spin on roulette. What? He's, that, he's just got oh. so much money, it's like Monopoly money. So, got a net worth of about $150 million, And, uh, you know, he, he he bet on the Spanish Grand Prix this last May. He lost $250,000 on it. He bet on the Super Bowl, though. He bet on the Rams, where he uh, he won 393000 on the Rams winning the Super Bowl. And then he lost the very next night 314000 on a parlay involving the Nets and the Mavericks. So, um, you know. He also gets paid by these casinos to put this stuff out there. Mm. It's a marketing ploy. It's, he's so he's, a, making, yeah. he's making money to wager. Dang it. I just fell for this. Yeah, yeah. he did. You got sucked in. Well, he bet 50000 that the Chiefs would score in both halves of the game, 30000 that the team would win all four quarters. He bet 25000 that the Chiefs uh, star tight end, Travis Kelsey, would be the game's MVP. You can bet that. They should have to disclose. The casino should have to disclose that he is being paid to endorse the casino like and, and say how much they're paying him. Yeah. Because regular people who are betting are maybe following – his bets because they go, oh, he must know something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. What are we on, four now? I think so. Number four in the five at five. Go. Uh, so there's a report out there that major networks are courting Charles Barkley, uh, CNN specifically, that Whoa. they're courting him for a primetime news show. Okay. I like that. Uh, you know, he's already an analyst for TNT. Um, but supposedly the chairman and CEO of CNN, they're in negotiations with Barkley to have him do a news-oriented primetime show. Hmm. So it would have him interviewing newsmakers, journalists, other guests, branching out beyond sports. I like it. It's also, I think, he needs some leverage, right? If, you know, if he's going to just stay in the sports lane i think this creates some leverage even if he doesn't want to do it you didn't you need another party at the table i know the nba's tv deals coming up they're trying to lock all these guys down but he just signed an extension last year yeah i mean it just gives him somewhere to go if he you know if he doesn't want to mm -hmm. do the other stuff i like it uh you know as much as i turn on television now and i see people that aren't interesting sharing their opinions on a lot of stations I'm interested in what Charles Barkley has to say about, you know, whatever CNN's talking about. I'll buy that. Number five. Russell Wilson's charity, uh, the Why Not You Foundation, is facing scrutiny over its finances. An investigation by USA Today into nonprofits uh, is saying that his charity is not spending is using like less than a quarter of its income to actually so less help than a quarter kids. of every dollar that yes. they raise is actually helping the cause yes the rest is overhead expenses salaries uh-huh russell wilson do better i mean give me a break three employees with the foundation have received almost two million dollars combined 
That's problematic. That's bad. You, when you give to a charity, you want to make sure that the charity, the, the vast majority of that money is reaching where it should reach. And if it's not happening with Russell Wilson's charity, don't give the charity any money. There are a lot of good charities that, are, that, that exist to be charities that aren't fronts for uh, you know, helping an individual appear to be a community-based person. And that's what this one looks like. That's the five at five, five biggest stories. We'll unpack the Blazers' potential looming trade day deadline disaster. Gary Payton II, is he coming back to Portland? Is he going to end up in Golden State? What will the Warriors do? Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, the Warriors are upset at the Blazers uh, as part of this four-team trade that uh, the Blazers partook in on the trade deadline day. Uh, the details, Gary Payton II, who was a mystery wrapped in an enigma, wrapped in a headband uh, in his time in Portland, uh, apparently has failed a physical today. Uh, the Warriors have uh, ruled him as a failed physical. They have until tomorrow to either go through with the deal uh, with a technical pass to the physical, or they can rescind the entire trade. Now, according to The Athletic, there was a surprise revelation to the Warriors during the intake process. There have been some discussions today about either an amendment to the trade or a full reversal of the deal. Four teams, four players involved. This is very complicated because of that, the four players and the four teams. Now, according to sources, Peyton had been through, playing through pain in Portland. I don't think that's a surprise to anybody, really, but we didn't know how much pain. Apparently, the Blazers' training staff had been pushing him to gut it through and giving him Toradol shots. That's an anti-inflammatory, uh, non-steroidal. This had not been relayed to the Warriors during the negotiation process, and it probably should have been. I think the Blazers could potentially face some sanctions from the NBA on that front. Now, Peyton had abdominal surgery in the summer. The Blazers thought he would be ready for the regular season. Remember, this was Joe Cronin's prized free agent signing. But his rehab lingered. Timeline kept getting pushed back. He missed the th first 35 games of the season, um, hinting that after his return, he still didn't feel right. It is what he is. It is what he is. He, it is. It is what it is. He said on the night he made his comeback. He uh, he said, you know, it's just he's. He said he had to thug it out. Well, James Wiseman went to the Pistons. Um, there were five second-round picks involved, uh, trying to get Peyton, you know, from Portland. It was eventually all part of a four-team deal, which is now threatening to unravel. Uh, the Warriors want Peyton now, and they want him healthy, right? Because they're trying to get ready for this big stretch run, but now they got to decide whether to move forward with, with the deal. Um, and he has two years and $17.8 million remaining on his contract. Uh, he signed a three-year deal with the, Warriors prior, the Blazers prior to the season, but this is really messy. Could be problematic for Joe Cronin. Could be problematic for the Blazers. Uh, potentially problematic for the Warriors because, you know, either they have to figure out, like, can we involve another player from the Blazers or do we just rescind the whole damn thing? 
What do you guys make of this? I'm. It, it leaves me shaking my head once again at Trailblazers, Inc. I, it's such a crazy story because I, at one hand, I want to think the Blazers training staff can't be that bad where they're like, you know what, we're for it. Like, you have to go play, basically. Like, I don't care what you're saying. You need to play, and they're just forcing this guy to play. But at the same time, like, the Warriors, you know, I've been talking to a guy down in the Bay Area, you know, during the show, and he, he said – the Warriors were planning on starting GP2 tomorrow in their game. So, like, they have no reason to make this up that he was going to be out for three more months. So it's like, I don't know. I think, you know, it's a he said, he said, she said type of thing right now. And I really, John, I have no idea what to believe. Like, would I be shocked if the Blazers staff is this bad? They just told him to do that. I kind of would believe it. And then I also kind of think like I wouldn't. Like, I have no idea, man. This is it, this is crazy. It, it sort of makes sense. And look, it, there's all this stuff that's starting to come out about GP2 in this time here. Both of these things can be true. Have we been hearing things kind of under the radar about GP2 and maybe his willingness to play for like two months? Yes, we have. But could that exist not because of his unwillingness, but because he's actually dealing with real pain and it's the training staff that's the issue? As shocking as that would be, that could be true and you would still have those issues. But I agree. I mean, I think this trade for the Warriors, I think it indicates that maybe Steph's injury is more serious than they're letting on right now, especially if they wanted him to start. If they rescind this deal, they take a massive, massive tax hit by bringing James Wiseman back because they're a, a multiple time repeater. I mean, what would it cost him? It would cost him like $50 million of real money to undo this deal, let alone the Hawks in Detroit and Portland being involved. This is a crazy story, John. I It makes sense to me because I have a friend who's a diehard Warriors fan and he said to me, oh, uh, you know, we got GP2 back. And I texted him and I said, yeah, but there, there was some weirdness around him wanting to be on the court or being healthy enough to be on the court. The team seemed frustrated with him. He seemed irritated with the team. His heart didn't seem like it was in it. Now I, I it makes sense of that element of it. Further, the Blazers, look, to me, this is symptomatic. Like, if you have your act together, it's the same thing that we talked about earlier when we were doing What's Your Peeve and we're joking around about the restaurant or whatever. A good restaurant has clean floors. It's well-staffed. It's well-lit. has a good location. You walk in. You, you realize immediately they have their act together. There's all these symptoms and signs that tell you, hey, they have their act together. They're on it here. The Blazers have given us a number of symptoms and signs over the last decade that they don't have their act together. So I'm not surprised by this. And the thing that really is alarming is that they would not that they did not disclose to the Warriors during the negotiation that he was apparently receiving Toradol shots. Um, if that's true, that they made this deal and did not disclose that he was injured and they were pushing him to get on the court and that he didn't feel right and they were giving him the Toradol shots, um, if that all comes out, it's possible that the NBA could find the Blazers. It's possible that they could award a compensatory draft pick to the Warriors. There's a lot of things that could happen here that I'm really interested to see how this plays out. But um, if you have your act together, you don't like good organizations don't have these kinds of stories around them. And, you know, I hate to bag on the Blazers because I really want them to figure this out. But I almost feel like they need to maybe continue to hit rock bottom before they can bounce back up but you know the now it makes sense to me like guys 
were you not confused over why? Like, I thought Gary Payton just didn't want to be in Portland. Yeah, I, I mean, that sort of seemed self-evident almost. Like, it was clear there was a lot of whispers there. I know that he was sort of talking about he didn't necessarily, you know, go by what Portland's doctor said. Maybe he had his own people. But your initial thought isn't that a franchise is allegedly or potentially so incompetent. That's just a dude who's just not really psyched to be there. And he just, he you can't blame him. He he took the money, but he doesn't want to actually be there. He was the, there's the story that after the Warriors won the championship and they had to cut him, he was like, he, he offered to stick around as the video coordinator. Well, $9 million a year will change that, but that's not where your heart is. This, uh, this story is wild. The more I think about it, the wilder it gets. And now we got I, Justice yeah. Winslow tweeting out a picture of uh, Kermit the Frog drinking tea like he knows something. I mean, this I think this is a long mm. from over, and we only got till tomorrow to figure it out. What do you now? What do you think he means with Kermit? And I the tea? I have no idea. Let's read the tea leaves on yeah. that one. Is it? Let's, I got it's, some more. It's not tea easy to spill, being green. Yeah. It's not. Uh, I don't know. He's, he's got more tea to <laughs> spill. He's got more tea to spill. I guess I don't know. Uh, man. This is. I think this is just a wild story. If is it possible that you know? Look. Player safety is a big issue, and, you know, I'm sure the next step, like, look, we knew a couple days ago that Anthony Davis would have a microphone in front of him and somebody asking him, why didn't you celebrate LeBron? Were you not happy for him? Uh, Gary Payton II will have a microphone in front of him in no time, and somebody in the NBA media world asking him, what did the Blazers have you doing? What did they disclose publicly? Um... It's just problematic, man. I, I just don't think – I'm not comfortable if the Blazers were pushing him to be on the court before he felt like he was healthy enough to be on the court. Like, it's not the first time in sports history that that has happened. But it's problematic when you don't tell the Warriors, hey, we've been giving him Toradol. I had a, I had a couple of people who cover other sports reach out to me as this broke, including a guy who I trust who's a longtime Major League Baseball writer – who reached out to me and said to me, uh, this Toradol thing is messy. There, you know, And he pointed out a couple of cases where um, you know, players in Major League Baseball prior to the trade deadline, especially pitchers, have been hopped up on Toradol and put out there on the mound so they can have a good performance, only to know that within a week or two it will all unravel. Basically, this can get, Toradol can get you on the court or on the field, they can alleviate the pain and discomfort, but it doesn't fix the problem. It doesn't fix the abdominal problem. It doesn't fix the problem in the shoulder or the elbow of the pitcher. So the Blazers were band-aiding this, it, it looks like it, and here's, you know, here's Joe Cronin talking about it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, That's yeah, what I was going to play for you. Yeah. I had that sound. You got it ready? Cue yeah, it up. It. Right. Here's Joe Player Cronin. safety is super important to us. I mean, it's a super important thing around the league. Um you know, we were playing him. He was playing, and he had been cleared, and we were confident that he was healthy when he was playing. We did. We would not have brought him back if we thought he wasn't healthy or if he was at risk. So, um, you know, you trust that we did the right thing, and you trust that our process was correct. And, you know, these these reports, you know, I think if you knew our – the clearance process was proper, so I'll have to rely on that. Here we are. Once again, Trailblazers, Inc. saying, trust us. Leave it here. You've got the home of the truth. 
Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. We'll talk some Super Bowl uh, and uh, tell you what's on tap this weekend outside of the Super Bowl. Uh, if you're just tuning in, uh, the latest drama around Trailblazers, Inc. is Gary Payton II's failed physical. It has put the four-team deal that involved the Warriors and some others in jeopardy. Uh, this was uh, the Warriors' trade deadline acquisition, a guy that they felt could give them some defensive help, especially it's a guy they're familiar with and know. Uh, it looked like it was uh, a move that the Warriors liked, obviously, Four teams, four players, but uh, according to The Athletic, a piece that just published this afternoon, uh, this trade is in serious jeopardy as Peyton has failed a physical, uh, and the Warriors are telling The Athletic that the Blazers training staff had been pushing the player to gut through the season, giving him Toradol shots, and this had not been relayed to the Warriors during the negotiation process. Joe Cronin, Blazers GM sounding off in the wake of the criticism player safety is super important to us i mean it's a super important thing around the league um you know we were playing him he was playing and he had been cleared and we were confident that he was healthy when he was playing we did we would not have brought him back if we thought he wasn't healthy or if he was at risk so um you know you trust that we did the right thing and you trust that our process was correct and you know these these reports, you know, I think if you knew our the clearance process was proper, so I'll have to rely on that. Joe Cronin, Blazers GM. Uh, guys, react to Cronin's comments. Um, I'm uh, I'm troubled by this. Does this change the? calculus for you what do you hear there i'm not sure if joe cronin whether you want to call it plausible deniability or whatever i mean i doubt he's the guy that's looking at medical reports and deducing what's in him i'm sure he's just asking the medical staff hey is he good to go or not and they say yeah he's good to go i mean so it doesn't necessarily change anything for me but i have real questions about the actual training staff on this team yeah his answer seemed like he just didn't he didn't know what to say right like he's kind of like me right now like i have no idea how to think about this or what's going on like it almost seems like it came out of left field for him but at the same time i feel like if you are the general manager like you have to know these type of things like they like, i think this is more of an organizational problem as you know you've been kind of referring to john like it's blazers inc like they have these problems like he needs to know all the medical stuff and if his you know the train staff is hiding things like he's got to know about these kind of he can't like this is a bad organization the way it's run I think it's example number, you know, 55 of why why this needs new ownership. In do, we know, do we know where Cronin said that? Because I'm curious if did they hold a media availability today and this was part of it? You know, what's the context of of that comment that he made? Because I think he, I think he was foolish to say anything right now. Sure. So uh, that news broke literally three minutes before his uh, post-trade deadline presser started at 4:30. <laughs> and a uh, friend of this program, uh, a friend of, uh, Sean Hyken, asked him initially, and he said nothing. He said, "I just read about this before I came out here. I'm going to have to defer." He was asked then about 20 minutes later in more general circumstances, and that's the answer he he gave. He, uh, I think it was foolish for him to say anything uh, about it because mm-hmm. what he's just he's just backed himself into a corner and he's essentially indicated to the league and to the Warriors that you know, hey, we played him, 
we wouldn't have cleared him, but he doesn't necessarily have all the information. And I think it was foolish for him to, to say anything with three minutes after finding out what the issue was because now I think the Blazers are in, you know, they're in jeopardy of this trade being rescinded, but I also think they're in jeopardy of the NBA coming in and finding them and saying, you did not disclose this. Basically, the insinuation is that they acted in bad faith in this trade, did not disclose that there was potentially some, uh, I guess, urgency to get Gary Payton II on the court and play him, and that he wasn't on the court and playing without, you know, the help from an anti-inflammatory in a, in a pain reducer. So uh, this is bad. And, and again, I always say, you know, you can look at teams. All teams will make mistakes. All teams will get things wrong. Businesses will make mistakes. Businesses will get things wrong. You have There's a human element involved in all of this. But it's always really telling to me when franchises that historically have had a difficult time consistently doing things ethically or doing things the right way, you had a general manager that was running roughshod over people in the organization, it was tolerated for too long, um, nothing's changed. There's a cultural problem here, with, and it's not in the locker room. You know, you know, and I've talked about this for the better part of a decade. There, the issue is not in the locker room. The issue is not with the chemistry between Chauncey Billups, Damian Lillard, um, you know, it, no issue with Anthony Simons. There's no issue here with the guys who are suiting up and on the court. The issue with the Blazers has been and continues to be and will be until they someday get release the franchise and let somebody else own it. The issue is just kind of a... Uh, overall cultural, uh, you know, there's a toxic field. There's, it's poison. The well is poisoned. And I think you get little symptoms all the time, very consistent symptoms that this isn't a well-run franchise. And I think there are really good people. I saw a lot of these good people today at the, the, the funeral for Bill Shonley. And, I, you know, it, it was a lot of people that, you know, I, I know are good professionals and they're smart people and they work for the Blazers. And I don't necessarily think it's any one person. I think there's just an overall infection here that continues to rear its head. And I'm not going to be surprised when this turns out to, you know, the, the Warriors. What are the Warriors going to do? Like, put put yourself in their shoes. Do they take Gary Payton a second and go, look, we just hope he heals and we'll hope for the best. And if he's not right this year, then we get him for next year, or do you do you unwind this deal tomorrow and take everybody unwinds and the Blazers lose the five picks and the you know Gary Payton the second has to go back to Portland and, and shoot him up again and send him out on the court? I, I think that they're well they're going to explore if they can maybe modify this deal, which I don't know that they're going to be able to because it's past the trade deadline. I don't think they can change it, uh, but they're exploring that. But I think ultimately, if they can't, I do think they take this deal. the The finances are implications are major if they unwind it. Not to mention, I mean, James Weissman was kind of wrecked already. Imagine what he's going to be if, if you tried to get rid of him and then you have to take yeah. him back. I think you got to take GP2 and just hope, well, at least he'll be good for the playoffs. Yeah, if GP2 really is hurt, it's going to be tough because the Warriors saved roughly $7 million in luxury tax this year with the trade and then $30 million next yeah. season with the luxury tax. So, like, if they if they rescind the trade, like, they are, you know, have to pay that money. And I think that's a big complication in this whole thing is that 
the Warriors are financially and on the court. Like, they want to have GP2 on the books. Like, I, I don't know, man. This is going to be tough. I, if I'm the Warriors, you're in a bad situation. I think I would look to the NBA and I would say, look, we'll do the deal. I, I want a compensatory draft pick. To, in order to, to push this through. And by the way, it should come from the Blazers. So maybe the Blazers have to give one of those picks back to the Warriors or something. But this is not going to go without the NBA investigating it. I, and look, I hope, like my sincere hope is, I would love to come on this radio show next week and be like, you know what, Joe Cronin and the Blazers acted in good faith. Here's what happened. There's a logical explanation for this. But we've, been, we've all been around here long enough to know that there's some smoke here. And and if Toradol is involved and Gary Payton II comes out and says, look, I was pushed onto the court when I wasn't comfortable, um, you know, none of us is going to be surprised. Leave it here. you got the BFT. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Top of the hour, Peter Sampson in the Pulse. He'll dive deeper on the fiasco, the latest fiasco, uh, surrounding the Trailblazers and the trade deadline. Gary Payton II has failed his physical. What will the Warriors do? What are the ramifications? All of that uh, still ahead as Peter Sampson in the Pulse will take you uh, into the weekend on this great Friday night. Uh, we got a Super Bowl on Sunday. You know that. But what else is on tap for the weekend? We take a look. Now, it's time for What's on Tap and What's on TV at the Independent on the BFT. Well, tomorrow on ESPN, UCLA, number seven team in America, will be facing Dana Altman and the Oregon Ducks. Should be a good one. Seven o'clock on ESPN tomorrow night. If you're looking for something to look out on the weekend, USC is playing against Oregon State tomorrow on the Pac-12 Network's 3 o'clock. That should uh, whet your appetite. Uh, uh, in the NBA tomorrow, you have a number of games going on, including a uh, big one involving the Dallas Mavericks and Sacramento Kings. I know that Steven's interested to see how Dallas looks. Mavericks are at the Kings. Uh, that game is on... Uh, uh, I don't have it. It's on the NBA League Pass. There you go. Do you, you guys have the League Pass? Should I even be talking about the League Pass? I know Peter's got it. Yeah, I, don't, I got it. I don't have it. I, if I want to watch a game, I'll uh, I'll just you know maybe stream it somewhere else. Is the League Pass worth the price? Oh, absolutely. They yeah. cut they cut the price in half. Fifteen bucks a month for everything, and you I saw can, that. You, you can pick the broadcast. Uh, a lot of it is commercial free. You get the in arena stuff, which sounds like it would be pointless, but it's, it's actually really kind of fun to watch the in arena events going on. I love it. Yeah, no, the, so, the, the in arena stuff is really a lot of fun. Like to watch the you know, little contests they do and to play the games what they do, or you know, do the little kiss cam. It, it's it's good. It's good times. Keep an eye on that this weekend. Of course, the Super Bowl on Sunday. Uh, I was really uh, encouraged by Oregon's win over USC last night. The Ducks playing at home. Dana Altman's team's been up and down, but they dominated USC in every way. And Folly Dante was great. USC shorthanded, but Oregon made him look shorthanded. So, I, you know, I this is the kind of season where Oregon has lost more games to rotation players than anybody in the Pac-12. So I'm not going to sit here and go, 
hey, uh, Oregon beat USC, but... No, Oregon beat USC, and it sets the Ducks up nicely now for a chance at home against UCLA on Saturday night on ESPN. 7 o'clock game. UCLA's been vulnerable at different points of the season. USC recently beat them. Uh, we'll keep an eye on and, uh, on that game on Saturday and, night. And, John, we've been talking about this. Oregon in a tough stretch. Right now, Joe Lenardi, they're in the first four out. So they're right on the bubble to yeah. get in the NCAA tournament. I mean, another win. A win over UCLA would go a long way for the Ducks to get back into the NCAA tournament, which is even amazing with how beat up they've been all season to be in this position. Yeah, and look, if the Pac-12 is going to get four teams in, UCLA and Arizona are going to make it. I think USC is going to get in, even though they lost to Oregon. I think when USC is at full strength, they're they're good. And I've always said if Oregon or Utah or Arizona State could win the Pac-12 tournament, you could get maybe four teams in, but... Uh, the other thing that could be uh, really helpful to Oregon's case is simply getting a win over UCLA tonight. They'll have more opportunities uh, down the stretch, and especially in the Pac-12 tournament, to play teams like UCLA or Arizona. But here it is. You're at home. You're you're relatively healthy. You are uh, coming off a nice win. After this game, the you know the final five games of the season for Oregon will be at Washington, at Washington State, at Oregon State, then home against Cal and Stanford. Like, there's a possible five straight there to finish the season. Now, I'm not saying playing at Washington, at Washington State, or gimmies, but those are winnable games for a team that's going to make the tournament. So this UCLA game becomes huge because it gives you six straight to finish the regular season. That's out there for them. And then here comes the Pac-12 tournament on Wednesday, March 8th, in Las Vegas. And keep in mind, top four teams in the Pac-12 standings get buys. Oregon is sitting in the five spot uh, right now, or they're in a tie for fourth with Utah. And frankly, they got the tiebreaker on Utah, so they really are in the four spot. A win against UCLA uh, would elevate them in front of uh, Utah and and, you know create a real possibility that Oregon has a first-round buy in the Pac-12 tournament on sunday the super bowl we have not talked about this enough um guys i'm excited for the super bowl and i know people all week have been saying the trade deadline there's so much more to talk about all this other stuff but i'm really excited to see you know somebody get crowned champion watch a great football game it'd be the last football game the last meaningful football game until we see college football in the nfl again uh in august and september and so this is, uh, you know, kind of our last game here coming on, uh, you know, f- coming in February, as uh, as Sam would say, Happy New Year. And and n- now we're gonna have, then we're gonna have to go March, April, May, June, July, five months with no football. So I, don't give me the USFL, don't give me the XFL, don't give me arena football. This is it. So it's our last meaningful football game, and I'm excited to see Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, mix it up on the field. Um, you guys, where do you where are you watching the Super Bowl? You're not excited about the the San Antonio Brahmas for the XFL, no, the Brahma Bulls. Not doing it. Not <laughs> uh, doing it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you know, we talked about this the other day. We we made plans when I was talking to my wife about my schedule, which ended up being mm. my peeve. I asked her what we're doing for the Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, that was part of the conversation as well. And uh, she said her uh, her sister and her brother-in-law coming over with her two kids because they have kids the same age as my kids, and they're the type of people that aren't into sports. So they're just coming over. We're gonna have a bunch of you know, a bunch of good food and some nachos, some party food. So I think we're just hanging out. Maybe we'll invite some other people over. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's what we're it's the exact same thing. Having no one over, just gonna get some junk food, chill out, and watch the game on my terms. It's gonna be great. 
Good for you. I don't know if you guys caught it, but on yesterday's show, Anna was talking about us going to one of her friends' house for a Super Bowl party. And she was, I think she was a little bit surprised that I said, okay, I'll go. But it was that or I stay home alone, right? Because the girls are going to, the girls have friends over there, so they're going to want to go. So I said, okay, I'll go. And then uh, Anna yesterday, when she asked, when I brought it up, she gave me kind of the side eye as I was talking about it. And I could tell she was a little nervous about what I was going to say. Because there has been, there has historically been some occasions where I will speak my mind about neighbors or friends or whatever, and Anna gets the blowback for it. I'm not as smooth or polished in that way. I tend to just say what I really think. But here's what I really think. I'm excited because I'm going to get to see what a Super Bowl party is through the eyes of somebody else. Now, I gather that they're going to have, like, the square pool, and they're going to have guacamole and our charcuterie tray and all that stuff out. I'm not as into that as I am the football game, but I'll be curious to see Kind of what uh, what does a uh, typical American household do for a Super Bowl party? Because I don't know. I do my own, and we do it a little different. And you know, let's see if uh, see if I can uh, assimilate into the uh, culture of a normal Super Bowl party at somebody else's house. Well, but I could tell I could tell she was nervous. I'm excited to hear on Monday how it goes because it could be either really good or really bad. Like you know, <laughs> it, it, the the options are just endless. She was looking at me like, don't say something offensive right now. And I wasn't. I wasn't. But I was like, oh, you don't trust me to talk about this. So we're going over to her friend's house. I've met him one time. We met him when we were trick-or-treating in their neighborhood. They're nice people. But um, I think they were a little surprised that I was coming over for the party, too. And I was like, well, should I bring my laptop and pretend like I'm working while I'm watching the game? No. I just want to watch the football game. I'm going to be a fan on Sunday, see what the Eagles and the Chiefs have to say about this Super Bowl. Uh, Peter Sampson in the Pulse is coming up, top of the hour here on 750 The Game. I want you to have a great weekend. Uh, if you haven't already, read my column at johnconzano.com on the funeral service that was held today for Bill Shonley. Bill Walton was there. Terry Porter was there. Jeff Petrie was there. whole bunch of Blazers. Um, I really tried to take you behind the scenes and into that church Uh, I want you to have a great weekend. The bald-faced truth, not here for a long time, just a good time.